Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello there, friends. Welcome to the Super J-Cast. This is episode 238. I am J. Michael, Voices of Wrestling writer on the New Japan Beats, and I am joined by Super J-Cast Hall of Famer and Ibushi Scholar, Boo slash Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hello. How you doing? I, I am good. It's late at night. The finals are going to be starting probably by the time that we finish recording this. Totally irrelevant episode coming up. I know. It's beautiful. But so much news. So, so much news. Yeah, we really picked a good week, didn't we? I don't know. It's something about me that just attracts all the news because I don't think I've ever had a slow news week um, any of the times that I've popped up to guest host. I'm legitimately wondering if... This is the densest news week that wasn't connected to like an actual, like meaningful event. Possibly. Like it's just swirling around right now and it's a maelstrom and we got like 20 fucking tag teams to talk about, but we've got like actually important things to talk about here. Well, actually, technically, we only have 19 tag teams to talk about. What? What do you mean? Well, well, Folly and Chase. I'm talking about them. I got notes on them. Oh, okay. Have you read my articles? I got notes on everything, damn it. Yeah, no, no. Trust me. I've read your articles. <laughs> well, somebody has to. I don't. Yeah. I hit send and I instantly forget every one of those four to 6,000 words of a road to show. <laughs> Somebody's got to write them. I'm telling you, I told did you? I, we were talking before the show. How many pages is my Kenta article that I've been working on now for a year and a half? Way too many. That would be a, a doctoral thesis. A hundred and thirty-nine pages, sixty-five thousand one hundred and ninety-one words. Don't tell Krach. It's, it's it's like a doctoral thesis. Oh man, you know what? I probably could. You know, doctorates of Ed can get anything for that. Yeah. Not saying anything. But uh, yeah, we got a lot to dig into this week, huh? Pretty much. So should we uh, just dive right on in or? Yeah, I mean, I could introduce myself, but nobody gives a fuck who I am and nobody knows who I am anyway. Go to Voices of Wrestling. Just look at New Japan stuff and I've written stuff. Actually, that's how we first started talking, isn't it? Yeah, because no, I actually do read most of the stuff that you write. So I wrote a mind-bogglingly pretentious article about Ibushi winning the 2020 A block in the G1 where I was like just babbling on about like Ibushi being like the philosopher king from Plato's Republic 
And somehow that struck a nerve with you. Well, because nobody else, I think, in wrestling um, authorship would A, bring up Plato's Republic, and then B, apply it to Ibushi. Minus the fascism, of course. Right. Yeah. As we've seen. No, and then, you know, we're sitting there on Twitter after a power struggle comparing Ibushi to Akhenaten. And I'm pretty sure we're the only two people that made that comparison. All right. I know it's a, it's a, it's, all right, let's talk about Akhenaten, right? I mean, there's no way that anybody ever is going to talk about opera on this podcast, right? Right. So, Anthony Roth Costanzo. Yes. Just totally shaved, not a fiber of hair on his body. And everything is out there as he walks down those steps with a delicate touch. And yeah, he, that was that was just just insane. He is Akhenaten. Yes. Yeah, so like we're the only people that love Ibushi this much and also follow opera this heavily. Yeah. One day we'll have the super Akhenaten cast. Oh, for sure. Actually, because we also both go to like the movie theater version of it, like when they simulcast from the Met, and you can see it. So sometimes we'll come back and talk about what we just saw. I specifically did not go to see The Hours because I'm so fucking sick of that book and everything about it. Bourgeois-ass Virginia Woolf. Damn prude. They're aristocratic yeah, nonsense. But, like, it, yeah, and I haven't, I mean, I didn't go see that one either because my schedule's so so crazy now with, with my new workplace. But, um, I mean, Joyce Donato... Oh, you, I know. I mean, I mean the cast the cast is tight, and it's a production by Phil Phil McDermott. I was a bit disappointed by what I saw there. I thought it was a bit predictable, sort of like the the juxtapositions of it, like like juggling with Akhenaten is like some groundbreaking thing. I thought this was a bit prosaic. Okay, but I didn't see I'll, the whole I'll thing. Take it. Okay. But no, so it's, yeah, so, so I mean, but that's what I, at least that's what I have going into it, is that it's got a stellar cast, and the production should be somewhat interesting, I don't know, I'll probably hit that when it um comes up on the Met Opera On Demand. Speaking of that, I was just about to torture you by going through some of the schedule, and as it turns out, if you go to the Met Opera website, the Met has experienced a cyber attack that has temporarily impacted our network systems. And on and on and on. Oops. <laughs> and it's the fucking Met, so you know they have to actually, like, there's two paragraphs here. The second paragraph is, like, about donations and ticket pricing. So, you know, they just can't fucking help but try to squeeze a little more out of you. Right, as you can't access the website. <laughs> they just can't help themselves. Uh, God bless the Met. I would say, though, I'm really looking forward to Champion coming up. I, mm, I, I understand the significance of it, but I was, I wouldn't say I was disappointed and fire shut up in my bones. All right, here we but go. But it didn't. No, it's, I think that's one that I would have benefited from actually being in the theater proper and not sure. viewing that as a you know as a met live in hd um it just and and you obviously 
you know, I think you gave that like five stars or broke the star rate. I went the full five on it. Yeah, and I went like three and three quarters and a or, or <gasps> four stars on it. It's I liked it. I didn't love it. I, I, the music wise, I think again, just sonically, I think I would have would have benefited from actually being in house. Right. Okay. So just felt just a background for the Philistines out there that don't know what we're talking about. So Fire Shut Up My Bones was an opera last year. It's scored by Terrence Blanchard, the the jazz musician. And what was unique about that opera is that it actually had a jazz quartet alongside the regular Met Orchestra in the pit. So it was like a, a unique sort of juxtaposition there, which I do agree with you a bit. Sometimes it sort of melded together, but sometimes it just felt like the orchestra takes a break and then the, the quartet goes instead of sort of integrating the two. But you were also very highfalutin, I felt. Because the one thing that you told me that I'll never forget, because you don't forget something like this, you were like, oh, the step dance sequence was good, but if you actually live in Houston and saw a real step dance, then you wouldn't think it was as good as you thought it was. And and, and I still hold by that statement. It was a very good... St- and, and I can understand, again, historically, I get the importance of having the step sequence on the stage of the Met and the audience that was there for that and to see it. I get all that. I appreciate all that, which is why I'm thinking I would have, as a choreographer, I would have shown the fuck out. Oh, yeah. And even, right, that that was ultimately what I was getting at with that comment mm-hmm. was that, yes, very good, very good step sequence. Like, no, no problems with it. But go show, it, it, even for that one, performance that you know is being recorded for posterity if you got to bring in actual fraternity step crews to do it as opposed to the normal you know dancers that you had in there just show the fuck out and just just go nuts go wild because who knows when you're going to get this opportunity again to showcase everything that you could showcase. That's really all I wanted. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I am looking forward to Champion because I also love the story of that actual boxer, Emil Griffith, who killed a man in the ring um, for whatever reason. That's a controversy. Um, I'm also looking forward to the very next month, Don Giovanni with Peter Mattei. Come on. Yeah, Peter yeah, because he's, he's, he's not been back since Wozik, right? And I hated Wozik. Oh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mark is so fucking obnoxious, but I liked him in it. He's sort right. of, he's always, he's a very damp German man in Wozik. And yeah. I mean, like, Peter Mattei as Don Giovanni is going to be fucking great. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And then, um, oh, what's the other one that, oh, uh, uh, Peter Biscala. Yeah. I did not have, um, I did not have him in Wagner. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was not on my 2022 bingo card. No, and he's like, 
he doesn't have as like powerful a voice as other tenors, but he's very clean. Yes. Like I always listen to him, I think he has he's very clean with what he says, and I like the way he moves around the stage. By the way, we were talking about this too. Um now I am a Dave Meltzer defender to some degree. I think his sloppy ass reporting is a relic, which is a, a shame because he actually has a journalism background. But I think like people getting on Dave for criticizing stuff and his criticism and like putting numbers and stars on things is preposterous. Wrestling fans, if they ever got even a smidgen of opera critic world, would disintegrate on the spot. They would not be able to handle the vitriol and the like brazenness of like, my favorite is James Jordan, because I saw him once. He wrote an article reviewing like, um, I can't remember if it's like NYU or one of those Manhattan colleges. And they were doing like their like college showcase like show with the Met. And he fucking savaged these kids. He was relentless. Well, I mean, that's all New York criticism, whether it's food or opera. The um, When Exterminating Angel came out, those reviews were insanely scathing. Oh, my God. Rightly so. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, you can't get anything more captious or fastidious than an opera reviewer. Like, they're reviewing, like, timber and all sorts of stuff that you can't even hear. It's fantastic. Yeah. Wrestling fans need to, like, there's such a shelteredness to it. Although there's also, like, the idea that, like, there's a lot of wrestling fans who are just mad at people putting star ratings on stuff. Not to name any names. Not to name any names from your Discord. Oh, it's not just my Discord. Uh, that's the one that, like, annoyed me the most. There was some guy that I got into an argument with, and, like, eventually it came out that he was just mad that Pitchfork gave, like, an album that he liked a bad review. So he just, yeah. away with numbers at the end of reviews. Don't tangibly represent anything. No, no, I'm just saying that, you know, it's not my, my you know, the Super Jcast Discord is not the only place where that happens. Because there's also Twitter. For now. You just have to, you just have to mine for it right now. But <laughs> Yeah. No, but speaking of wrestling. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But no, I was going to go, you know, speaking of wrestling fans being upset at things that Dave has written or that Dave has put out, mm -hmm. um, I mean, we might as well just dive into the news and the fact that the Hall of Fame uh, inductees were announced late last week. Yes, they were. And there's... And among... <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say, and among the inductees uh, was Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito. And Holy Demon Army. But the only ones that seemed to really upset people was Ibushi and Naito. They've been like these placeholders for the frayed emotions of these people who are so mad that CM Punk didn't get in. And which is what like CM Punk did not like just barely miss. He was like 50 votes off, number one. He actually increased, number two. And like I don't know. That doesn't seem like that gap is going to be made up by people aggrieved that he was mean to their favorite wrestlers. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how that all happened, how it was somehow somebody decided 
that, okay, Punk didn't get in, so I'm going to blame it on these two wrestlers in an entirely different voting block Mm -hmm. that was somehow their fault. Mm -hmm. Listen, I vowed to name names and Joel begged me not to, so I'm not going to name names here, but it's really not as complicated as you're making it, Nicole. They're the British people, the Brits, or excuse me, the British and the West Britons, if that makes you more comfortable. I've often advocated to just cutting the cord that leads to that island and just seeing what would happen. And this is a prime example of why. The Brits were upset. And so they threw guys who should have gotten in two years ago just right into this totally irrelevant argument. There's no reason to bring them into it. Not to name names. No. Um, Possibly, I will read some tweets. I I will, again, we will not name names, but y'all can figure these out, possibly. Um, This might be my favorite one or one of them. You should hate on Ibushi and Naito because they're self-masturbatory performers for spreadsheet dorks. Here's my problem with this tweet. Here's my problem with this tweet, though. A lot of the complaints about Naito is that, oh, he's not a worker. He's always wearing a T-shirt. He just doesn't compare. And so you can't make that argument and at the same time ascribe him to the self-masturbatory performer for spreadsheet dorks. That just does not... Those two things do not jive. I mean, that I, I didn't get a vote, but him being a self-masturbatory wrestler for spreadsheet dorks, well, I have a G1 stat spreadsheet right now. It's uh, a massive, it's like 15 megabytes, uh, several dozen tabs, uh, about 50,000 or so formulas. That's a reason for me to vote for him. Number one. Number two, and I was just thinking about this. It really was centered on Naito, wasn't it? And that's even more insulting to Ibushi because I think like what I saw at least was that there was this idea that they were going to go after Naito because he'd be more one to grab more attention because that's what they want. And the idea was that Ibushi's not even worth discussing because they almost feel like it's kind of self-evident that Ibushi's not a Hall of Fame-worthy wrestler. Kind of telling on themselves. It is, and so I'm going to read this other tweet, and fuck it, I'm going to name a name here, Missy Hyatt. Here's Missy Hyatt's tweet. A younger me is getting excited right now. Right. Um... Just saw the one um, Hall of Fame awards. None of my picks got in. Would have waited another year or two before voting for Naito. Mystico was questionable to me. Mega draw from 2005 to 2011. Not much of a draw after his first run. Abushi didn't have enough big NJPW years for me. And DDT doesn't count. Missy, did you vote for Kenny? Because if you voted for Kenny, you would have had to have voted for Abushi. Nicole, let me ask you because- this. Just a stat. How many times has DDT sold out the Budokan? I believe one time. And why did that happen? I believe it happened because at the top of the card was one Kuroobushi and one 
Kenny Omega. Now, who would you say held the more potency of that relationship at the time? You would have to go with one Kota Ibushi. I would say so. He kind of bragged Kenny up with him, didn't he? Yes. But the other thing that just gets my goat with the Ibushi didn't have enough big New Japan years was that, okay, so then you're discounting his years as a junior when he was a junior champ and KOD champion at DDT. So he's rolling into these weird Roho shows in rock quarries with the New Japan junior title around his waist. It's and yeah. he it it it's so you've got the junior years. Okay, you're crazy enough to say that DDD doesn't count, and she's not alone in this opinion. Uh, for years now, I've had to pop into discussions, and when people just kind of have that same mindset of oh, well, he hasn't done much in New Japan, and it's like okay, they're they're the junior years, and then there's also DDT. And then if you don't want to count DDT, let's talk about his tag runs mm-hmm. in Noah. I guess if you're not counting DDT, then I guess it's okay if you don't count his run in El Dorado, where he was basically coming in as this like this interloper that was the only reason why people were going to Corrigan to watch El Dorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason why I've got those shows, I'm not searching out El Dorado if Ibushi's not on them. Um his his popping up in America, Chikara. Uh, he did a King of Trios tournament. Then we can go into when I like to call it his excursion wilderness years when he left DDT. So he does WWE with their Cruiserweight Championship, which I think we can all agree was basically put together to entice Ibushi to sign with WWE. Yes. He does... He does Kaiju Big Battle, and that show is very interesting to watch because as soon as his bit towards the end of the night is done, that place empties the fuck out. Right. And that's the one where Dave is talking about being up at midnight watching Ibushi wrestle a doll. It was that show, 2016 in Dallas, WrestleMania weekend. So... And you didn't even get into... Yeah, you didn't even get into Hustle Came in Orange. No, Exactly. Um, there is a RJPW, there is a best of the Indies, which is maybe in his second or third year in DDT. He's in a multi-man tag, which I think was the Emmy, um, of the show. And it's him and a bunch of other kind of juniors from other different promotions. And he's clearly being set up, even though he's kind of the youngest, newest kid in that ring, uh, the way that whole match is laid out. It's clearly highlighting him. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and, and we could go on and on. And ultimately, I think a lot of it in Abushi's case is that people just didn't want to do the research. And I'm not saying be, you know, crazy Abushi scholar, but let's be very, very honest. At this moment, there probably is no cyber fight that saves Noah from the clutches of WWE without Ibushi. Because at the point of DDT, it's a comedy promotion. Nobody's taking it seriously. Super indie. Ibushi shows up and starts doing what he does. And Shansiro Takagi, who should be in the hall, 
um, I think it's criminal that he's not getting more votes, is able to realize that, hey, I've got something special here, pushes it to the point where in 2009, they're in uh, Sumo Hall, uh, main event against Hiroshima, who is another guy that should at least be some discussion for Hall of Fame. Probably, probably wouldn't get in, but I think we should at least talk about at some point the importance of Hiroshima overall. So they get into Sumo Hall. Then they get into Budokan. And DDT, I don't think, gets into either of those shows or either, into either of those buildings. And then thus doesn't get to a point where Cyber Agent buys them and allows Takagi to be in a position that when Noah needs to be saved, he convinces them to come in and save Noah. Yeah, I mean... The thing about it is, when I think about the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, I just even for somebody who does all the stats stuff that I do, I just don't give a fuck about the draw. Like, to me, I don't know if you've realized this, Nicole, but wrestling's fucking fake. It's a performance. Not to, you know, unmask anything for you, but this whole thing is fucking fake. I don't understand how we put so much into the draw and, like, so few people actually dive into the, the wrestling part of it. The actual, like, talent as a performer part. Because you're talking about all the stuff he did outside. And I think that is already enough for me to put him in. But then I also think, you know, because nobody wants to dive in because everyone wants to say that everything's subjective. And the word opinion is banned from my general sphere. I'm so fucking sick of that word. We debase that word so much because you call somebody somebody opinion because you're just trying to demean and debase what they've said. So in my conclusion, or my estimation, Kota Bushi's the most well-rounded wrestler I've ever seen. There are other well-rounded wrestlers, but the, 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 the degree to which, as a striker, as, I think, a very underrated grappler, as a, a flying wrestler, which he was the best high flyer for multiple years, and I just think as a general structuring of a match... You know, I think what happened, unfortunately for him, and what I think soured some people on him, is that he got his title run at the worst possible time because I think Ibushi more than just about anybody needs the crowd. Because there's a real subtlety to the way that he devises matches. So like in 2020, when we were debating which one was better, the, the Okada-Ibushi match or the Okada-Naito match, I always went with the Ibushi match because Ibushi at the time he really had this structure down where he started so goddamn slow with his matches. And that was the knock on the Akata match was that, you know, they stretched that to the molecular limit. It was like a 15 minute opening of just slow ass grappling and posturing. But there's always like a narrative with Ibushi stories that I think doesn't get enough credit, possibly because people think that he has an infant's brain because he doesn't know how to work a dry erase marker or he gets lost in the city and he can't find his hotel room. And by the way, Omega definitely feeds into that. Not to throw that out there too. I think Abushi's match structures is totally underrated. So I think he's the best well, most rounded wrestler I've ever seen. So that alone, I would get him in, but we don't vote people in by their actual talent in this performing art because that's just too subjective and nobody wants to dive into that. But 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 the t-shirts 
and the stars. <laughs> he's getting his money. And oh yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely because uh, we'll we'll touch upon that a little bit in a few moments uh, as we can dive into more news. <laughs> no, um, you want to talk about t-shirts? It, Somebody fighting for their t-shirts here. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we're de- yeah de- some definite bags of of money coming his way. Um, but yeah, and it's also, you know, I think to, to uh, your point in the way structures matches, go watch anybody else against Jay White and then go watch Abushi versus Jay White. So the beginning of just about every Jay match, you have that whole sequence where Jay rolls out of the ring and he's trying to bait his opponent to come out and the opponent bites on it. And then you get all the, the shenanigans outside of the ring and usually that that first kind of five minutes or so and he's even able to to bait naito in that shenanigans in both the g1 final and then the wrestle kingdom match abushi does not fall for that so jay is rolling out of the ring jay is trying to get him and he won't do it he's just content to stand there and wait and then eventually leaves the ring when Jay has let his guard down and attacks. Nobody else does that. I haven't seen anybody else do that and play with that part of Jay's match structure. Mm. And we all kind of sleep on that because again, we think Abushi has, you know, like not even half a brain cell to play with and to figure these things out. I'm, um, I'm amazed. Like people just think he has no intellectual agency at all. And I think, at the very least, even though, like, we'll talk about where he may end up, and I got my own feeling about where he should, like, this whole year should prove that he certainly does have very fervent beliefs, and he can express them, and he's not just a clueless imbecile, or some sort of, like, lighthearted sprite that's just sort of dancing around everywhere. He actually does have firm beliefs in things. To the point where people want to train with him, by the way. Yes. Um, the Ibushi Pro Wrestling Research Institute is apparently the, the happening place right now in Japan, based on all the, all the various photos that are popping up. I hope he sticks with the DDT kids, and I hope that he just disavows Wato, because... Aww. Wato's regressed. Wato's uh, regressed. Yeah. He's about to win the title, I think, but he's regressed. Yeah. So Ibushi got him back from excursion, but uh, like, how does somebody trained by Ibushi kick so fucking light? Ah, uh, I, I I blame that on on New Japan. Fair enough. Yeah, and then well, you know, and then with Naito's kinesi again, oh, he, he wrestles in a t-shirt, and again, I want to go. Did you vote for Kenny? Because Kenny wrestled a lot of matches in t-shirts and didn't put in half the effort that Naito does in a t-shirt in the middle of, of the ass end of Japan. Where Naito was still taking stupid, stupid bumps on the undercard of meaningless Road 2 shows in front of like 500 people at best on a show that's only going to be watched by those 500 people and the Shindy Han freaks that are getting up at three o'clock in the morning to watch. You know, the thing about Naito, 
he draws me in. I try to be this postmodern academic about this all because it's fucking fake. But Naito was so goddamn annoying in these under are uh, these uh, like undercard tags on these road twos, where he just is so goddamn demeaning to the person that he's wrestling, and yet. There's always a payoff. He like even as the face, who like ninety percent of the people there have his merch. He always gets his comeuppance, even on friggin' Hanma. Like Hanma got one over on him. That was so great. <sighs> that was classic. People missing out on stuff by just giving up on this because now they got their American wrestling. It's like so the night of so the last night of the Super Junior Tag League, undercard match. L.I.J. And Naito's been doing this whole thing of, you know, wearing Hiromu's jacket post-match. And this time post-match, Naito takes it off and the camera misses him throwing the jacket into the crowd and hitting a man in the face with it. elderly old man who just got fucking slammed by this sequin jacket and all these fucking fluffy things that Hiromu glues onto him. It's fucking great. Like, who the fuck can get away with that? Because if ELP had done that, everybody would have lost their fucking minds and called for his head. But it's Naito, and everybody's like, oh, Naito's just being a dickhead Rudo. No, Naito threw a jacket at a man's head. Yeah, and he uh, also lost his hat because of it. So, again, the comeuppance. Right. Um, The only thing I would have had that if I'd had a vote where I might have had some issues with Naito is from the legacy standpoint. And yeah, Naito sells a lot of merch and Naito is very meaningful at this time for the company. But I also kind of look at legacy of what are the wrestlers that are coming after him? Is he, you know, is he affecting them? Can you see bits of him in other wrestlers? And besides his parejas, I don't see that as much as I see it with Ibushi, where probably Marafuji, Kenta, and Ibushi are probably the most influential Japanese wrestlers from the early 2000s. Sure. I would say... I mean, the one that bothered me the most was the dude that tweeted that Naito never popped business when he got the title. Which is hilarious. Oh my god, that's... Right. Because the whole fucking peak of New Japan right now, which is technically the peak of the entire company, even if you want to say that it's not the heyday of Anoki and whatever, where the, the general like uh, ubiquitousness of it in Japanese culture isn't the same, and whatever. Like, they've reached their business peak, and that was with Naito chasing the title. So it didn't matter if he didn't pop business, he brought business there. It was him. But no, he's just a facade created by Okada. Right. It's an, an Ibushi melting down. Yeah, Ibushi oh. melted down. Right. Because Ibushi got, Ibushi got ground into pulp by New Japan, trying to get him in every fucking main event of every main show they had during the pandemic. Go look at Cage Match. And in just about all of those major shows, he's either in the main or or the semi-main, or in a special special tag match, or a special singles match. How many times did they try to get him against Shingo for the title? Until he they, got they, fucking they pneumonia. Literally... 
Right. And even then, they waited to less than 24 hours before the show to officially declare him out and put Tanahashi in his place. Less than 24 hours to make that change. When they probably knew well before then that the odds of him getting cleared were going to be between slim and none. And then when they finally do get a doctor's clearance, what's the first thing they do? They put him in a main event of a dome show against Tanahashi when he clearly was not ring ready. And oh, by the way, then was two weeks before the G1. And there was no matches in between for him to get to get his ring timing back. And then, oh, by the way, Naito blows his knees out. And what do they do? They got they call on Ibushi again to be in his fourth final in a row. Because they knew they had to have somebody out of that block. If it wasn't Naito, it had to be Ibushi. Mm-hmm. Somebody that could put asses in seats at Budokan. Look at all the Budokan shows. Ibushi is like in the Emmy of almost all of them. Oh, yeah. And like, I don't have the stats on this, but like ring time wise, like you think that's that's like over the four years, that's only four matches more than anybody else. But how long are those goddamn G1 finals going? Like there's some they're the longest on record. And those are intense matches. The Tanahashi match. Yeah, the Sonata match was endless. The Jay White match. I mean, these are intense matches. And he got worn down by him. Middle so that's why Ibushi, yeah. So that's why Ibushi melts down is because New Japan just ground grounded him into dust till he literally fell apart in the middle of the ring. Well, also some dopey ass mid level bureaucrat decided to try to push his weight around to him. Well, yes, the official. The official. I love that. Yeah, officially in the fucking basement corner office, dickhead. Yeah. So, but yeah, and and I know Joel and Damon will touch a lot more about Hall of Fame when they're back next week. Um, and Damon's definitely um, kind of better suited to talk about the Holy Demon Army and some of the other inductees for this year. But uh, but the us two Ibushi scholars definitely had to uh, take a couple jabs and uh, just preposterous do a couple swings there save your insecurities for something more more pertinent than bringing two japanese wrestlers who should have got in the very first years that they were on because cm punk couldn't contain himself and exacerbated a situation that was dead like listen uh i talk about this with you a lot i don't give a fuck about aew i don't really think it's that much different than wwe it's just a slightly better version of it I know the booker of the year has worked very hard with all the injuries that he's gotten to deal with this year and stuff. But uh, the whole hangman page thing, not to go off on that, but like if people are like wondering why the things that punk can't, like he can't stay around somewhere. Right. Like, obviously Vince was fucking with him. The doctor was fucking with him. I mean, the doctor, obviously we found out in testimony was fucking with a lot of things and people but like he comes back and he makes hangman page look like a chump in the ring with that promo right after he comes back of an issue that nobody in public even knew was an issue he just basically came out and said hey here's this thing it was an issue you didn't know that but here i am resurrecting it to fuck with our former champion and then the great bomb which I heard that I saw that the uh, the theory that he was waiting for Tony Khan to cut him off so that he could paint the Booker of the Year as uh, 
you know, biased against him as well. It's not the fighting. It's that he just can't stay somewhere. Like, and he can't stay somewhere long enough to with enough emphasis. Like, when you said Abushi didn't stay anywhere, but Abushi was pioneering everywhere he was going. And he stayed around long enough to, to set that home. Like, Punk didn't do that. And I think Punk should be in the Hall of Fame. But find somebody a little bit more congruous to compare to instead of two of the best Japanese wrestlers of all time. 1982 club. I put all of them in. Shingo goes mm. in. Naito, Ibushi. Mm. Put honorary member Taiji Shimori in. Put honorary member, I'm just going to say, El Desperado in. Put him in as well. Everybody from 1983, the best year that there was. Am I missing anybody? Oh, Jeff Cobb. Uh, I'm not. Yeah. Throw Jeff Cobb in there. Listen, I live where the Basketball Hall of Fame is. They let anybody into that fucking thing. I do not have an idea of a condensed Hall of Fame. Just let everybody who's notable in. Hall of Fame should be fun. I don't even want to get on the Basketball Hall of Fame because it took them way too long to get Guy V. Lewis in. I'm a mere three miles away. I can go complain to him for you tomorrow. Nah, that's all right. But I'm speaking of... Uh, but speaking of uh, Twitterati, who are all up in their fields right now, it looks like there is going to be a new player on the stardom scene. Yeah. Yeah, so this was something that popped up, and we were like, wow, that's something to pop up in the week before we do a show. So Sasha Banks, who I just never thought she'd pull the trigger on this, apparently she's going to show up at, at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And that was confirmed by Mike Johnson. And then we got more stuff from Joe Lanza about sort of how this is all coming together. It looks like this is actually happening. This isn't a bluff of the many bluffs that we've heard from her in the years past. Now, I do want to give props to Super J Cast stardom correspondent Welkie, who called this on his appearance on the podcast when kind of giving everybody the rundown of stardom and going over the historic crossover show. And when he got the question of who he thinks would, should be, you know, popping up at wrestle kingdom, his thing was that, um, predicting that Sasha may be an actual opponent and not just popping up to challenge post, but he basically called it and that he said that if Kari wins, which she did, it should be Sasha, Mercedes Vernado, which whatever name, I know she's trademarked a bunch of names. Solnado, so you mean? Well. The Solnado. Um, but just whatever, you know, would, would be the one to challenge. And initially Damon and Joel kind of chuffed at him and then Damon really bought into it. And Velky is the only one that really called it and stuck to his guns. And believe me when I say he is ready to drop receipts when she pops up at, um, if she, when she pops up at the dome. So props to him. Um, and this has brought out all sorts of, again, interesting responses from the Sasha stands and the AEW stands who are still hoping for her to pop up in AEW, which she might. That's not completely out of the table because apparently part of 
what's been a hold up besides her going, hey, I'm not wrestling until in 2023, is her asking price, which according to the Vogue Patreon report from Lanza is apparently she's asking for such a big bag that it's up there with Jericho. <laughs> and personally, I'm, I'm all for get your money. Um, my favorite tweet about Sasha was NJPW trending because of Sasha Banks. Definitely a game changer and someone that could attract the female and casual audience. Tell me you don't watch New Japan without telling me you don't watch New Japan. This is a promotion with insanely hot men mm-hmm. that have put out photo books. Go go look for the R3 um Rapunky 3K book kids. <laughs> yeah. Um it, it, you it's might probably granted, be wrapped that should in probably, plastic, but yeah. Yeah, go look for that one. And oh, by the way, they put out a titty book, which is just basically photos of the pecs of the entire roster. I own a copy of that, by the way. Um, Fax me that. You got Tanahashi. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you've got Tanahashi, whose whole, and well, Tanahashi, Tai Chi, and Sonata, who have peck pop-offs. Don't forget Yo. And Yo. He was the original. He was. He was. Um... And then also a promotion that has um, they've done in the past Wrestle Kingdoms where they have um, women only sections, and they get they get a couple little nice goodies on their seats, and it's just sections for just women to watch the show. So don't tell me that New Japan has a problem marketing to women, and that they need Sasha Banks to market to women, because they that it's almost an idle promotion. For men, or with men, I should say, right? Because there's very few ugly people on that roster. Well, like I and even know, the, listen, I have a whole folder of Harold may have been right, and Harold was definitely right here. He knew what to go for. Well, speaking of Harold, there we had a, the president introducing himself to his entire the, the entire fan base. In a video where he's in the shower. Not that I wanted, not that I wanted to see Harold May in the shower, but come on. Don't don't act like this promotion doesn't know how to go after women. Tall Dutch drink of water that he is. Yes. Um, but ultimately, but all all that kind of grumbling aside, it's I think this is great. If this actually does happen, she Sasha is going to live her Joshi, Joshi dream because she's she's a Joshi nerd, just like Velky, basically. Um, everybody probably forgets that the first time that she walked out on WWE, what did she do? She went to Japan and was training with Meiko Satomoto. Right? She's she knows the product. She watches this the scene. She's a fan. And this is, as Velky said, this is probably a bucket list for her to come out in Wrestle Kingdom. I'm sure she's going to do some Corican shows and she's going to be loving it. And if she could somehow probably make kind of st- stomp through the Joshi scene and do like Sendai Girls and Ice Ribbon, um, even Choco Pro. I am all for Sha- S- Sasha Banks in Choco Pro. I don't know what we need to do to make that happen. Send her on a collection plate. I need to see you're in the dentist office. Somebody make that happen. Please. Um, You know, 
I, I'm still, even though it's been confirmed, I'm still saying I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. This is her, this is the ultimate weeb test for her. All right, you can make all the references to Princess Jellyfish or whatever the fuck you want and wearing the Sailor Moon outfits randomly and fine. But we've gone down this road before. I think at this point, I'm confident that it is going to happen, but until I actually see her on camera in the Tokyo Dome, I'm not totally convinced. No, that's fair. You know, it's you got to see it to believe it. I think, though, with as, as many people that are talking about it, right, because it's not just like one guy that's that's out there tweeting that this may happen. You know, Meltzer's reporting it. Lanz has been reporting it. Like you said, Mike Johnson is people that are knowledgeable are starting to confirm that this is a thing that that's in the works and that unless there's some last minute hiccup that ruins it all it is going to happen and it's something that honestly bushi road probably needs at this point if based on the other portions of uh this week's vote um patreon report about it and about their fears in terms of maintaining their status as with new japan number one and stardom number two with Cyberfight um making inroads with the Moodle match. And we might as well jump into the the other kind of major piece of news, which is that Noah is actively pursuing Ibushi. Actually, before you get into that, Boots, there is one thing yeah. I wanted to say. So about the Sasha thing, one thing, we we're talking about the situation, right? And the situation is dominating it because obviously we have reports. Sasha is very deliberately staying quiet on this, which is very smart because she is a very smart person on this. But let's talk about the actual, like, performance here like how do you think she's gonna mesh here because she stands out in wwe because she does have sort of a ambitious somewhat reckless style like a joshi-esque side of thing right but she's the only one there when she's ever wrestled actual joshi wrestlers in wwe um she's wrestled asuka i have this up six times I remember some of these. Some of them were a bit disappointing. She did wrestle at the horror show at Extreme Rules, which I remember that one was good. But the matches with Asuka were sort of iffy, and she did have one match with Io Shirai that I thought was sort of mediocre. Wasn't Certainly didn't live up to expectations. How do you think she orients herself into a situation where everybody is going as fast as her, as ambitious as her? I think yes, but what do you think? No, I, I think yes as well, because I look at the WWE stuff, and I always put a little asterisk by those, and the asterisk is WWE house style. Because, you know, if you want to disagree with me, you know, that that's fine. But I feel that the Japanese wrestlers in WWE basically either neuter themselves, or in the case of Kenta, Kenta. are actively neutered by... WWE because they've got a certain house style. So yeah, they can they can incorporate some of their stuff, but they're not going full tilt. Now they're not going as slow as say Sheeta in AEW, mm. right? Or right. that early on, that first year of AEW, 
when the Joshi went there, it was very noticeable that they were having to, for lack of a better word, dumb down their style to face the domestic talent mm-hmm. that they were up against. Right? I mean, how many times was was Britt getting her nose busted open by Sheeta? Don't know. Don't give a fuck about AEW. <laughs> right. But 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 that but but that that's the point I'm but that's the point I'm making in terms of WWE and these Sasha Oscar you know Sasha um EO matches is that I would say that odds are pretty good that everybody involved was not going full pell-mell because of the WWE style and actually I, and I think in yeah just jumping in like it's also a mental thing isn't it because we hear that with Kenta right where Kento himself thought that he had to slow himself down to fit their style. And then you hear Paul Levesque say that he was trying to convince Kenta to not do that. But I keep coming back to that story and thinking, how convincing were you? Because Kenta still never figured out how to do his style in WWE. And obviously he's come back to New Japan and he's doing a modified version of it because, you know, WWE had people dropping him on his fucking neck and almost killing him. Like, they can do the lip service about telling the talent, like, hey, we we got you for you. But you can see that they're definitely being coached in a way that mitigates their strengths. Exactly. So that's why I've got, at this point, no qualms about how Sasha's going to fit in in Japan if this actually happens. Yeah. I think she's going to be fine. I think that's the exciting thing. Like, I feel like this is the challenge for her. Like, she's going to run into, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, Iwatani or whatever. And she's going to find somebody that can match what she does. Because, like, Becky Lynch is like a technician and and Charlotte's sort of like the performer one and does the stuff. But, like, she's going to run into somebody that can actually like match what she does in the ring. And she's really never had that in WWE. Again, one match with Io Shirai, who I would say is like the closest I could say to her. Asuka is Joshi, but Asuka's always been a bit different. Like, I'm not saying that she's going to catch anything there. I think she's she is just trying to get something out of her system, which I think is smart. You can always go back to WWE. They'll take her back, you know, no questions asked. But I think this is an excellent opportunity to just see how far Sasha Banks can go in the ring. And I find that really galvanizing. No matter what it costs for them. Exactly. And then speaking of costs, <laughs> shall we move into the 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 next the next performer that is probably gonna get like a big fat bag from somebody? <laughs> So, <laughs> so Cyber Fight lost apparently 600 million yen, we found out this week. However, who are they offering a big pile of money to? One Kota Ibushi. I don't know what to make of this. I still feel like the best situation is just like with the CM Punk thing. Not to talk about him again. But, like, I feel like the best situation is for everybody to just cool down and to maintain status quo. I still feel like the best place for Ibushi is to just stay in New Japan. Just fucking toss Kikuchi into a river or something. It's going to happen eventually. But it is tempting to see what's on the table for him if he goes there. 
there's so many fresh matchups. There's a, there's so many first time matchups. You've got you know Abushi Nakajima, Abushi Kiyomiya, Abushi Kenho. That's the you one. You got Abushi Marafuji. Yeah. You know we 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 did we were we we should have gotten Abushi Marafuji in DDT, but that was the year that Abushi jacked up his shoulder against uh, during the B, uh, Best of Super Junior final against Devitt. And that ended up with him. with which move? Oh, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, Phoenix Splash. But um, so that that was slated for um, I think Peter Pan that year, and ended up being Kenny that took Abushi's place. So we got like Kenny versus Marafuji. Which little side note, Marafuji fucked up his shoulder in that match <laughs> against Kenny. So some weird shoulder thing going on, but no. So you've got that. Ooh, it's, actually, it's I, in the I list. Got a stat on that. Uh, oh, sorry. Mirafu- you've got a stat. Mirafuji and Kenta, or Kenta, Mirafuji and Abushi uh, have only shared the ring eleven times. And it should be it should be all tag matches, right? It is. And the last time, oh Jesus! So the last time they actually were in the ring together, believe it or not, is one hell of a match. It was one of the Ring of Honor Tokyo shows in two thousand eight. Nakajima and Marafuji versus Kenta and Ibushi. Yeah. 30, I mean, 35 minute time limit draw. Ooh, I gotta go find that one. I haven't seen that one. 35 minutes, no more, no less. Gotta that's, love it. that's the time limit in the Ring of Honor Tokyo show. But yeah, sorry, nice. I just saw that and I was like, 11 times, that's it. That's incredible. Yeah. But that's, you know, Ibushi go. I, I, we could go on and on about all these fresh matchups for Ibushi that prior to this year, we didn't think we were going to see. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited for that. Um, From a Twitter meltdown perspective, I am totally excited for the moment that he does pop up in Noah. And then at the first opportunity, they take the belt off of Kiyomiya and put it on Ibushi and make him GHC champ. I I am ready for that Twitter meltdown. Just give it to me. (laughs) I mean, um, it also, yeah, yeah. Also, in terms of meltdowns, I am ready for like at Muto's Tokyo Dome show for twenty seven by Breaking Point to be hit and Ibushi come out. Please give me that, please, because I just, I just, I at this point, I just want to see it all burn. Give it to me. I'm trying to find the logic behind giving him so much money, more than joe was saying is even more than the new japan contract and i'm i'm kind of thinking at this point like yes there would be a meltdown to take the belt off kiyomiya but i think kiyomiya is so damaged he's so corroded by the nonsense that muto put him through publicly and privately and they fucked up kano because i don't know about you nicole but after that january 8th show last year or this year still this year like the whole Noah came out of that looking cooler than ever, and like ninety five percent of that was Kano, and they followed that up. Right. By, they followed that up by having him lose in two minutes with a flash sub to fucking Funaki. They've gone out of their way to book themselves out of what was one of the most propitious situations in Japanese wrestling in January, where they did actually seem like a hot company in a frigid environment. And they managed to squander all of that. And I am thinking, now obviously we're two people that canonize and apotheosize Abushi, 
But I do think he is somebody that can resurrect the reputation of this company right now. He's, or at least he's in a unique spot to do that because they've just soured so many people on who's already there that I think Abushi does freshen these guys up because, sorry to keep babbling, but in 2021, like obviously Ron Guy booked things because he's just this Mudo Mark. But you also got to remember, if he is the booker, he was still booking the good stuff too. The Kano Nakajima stuff, which was great. And why was that so great? Because they just went in the ring and they beat the fuck out of each other. Just totally disregarding any safety precautions. They were just beating the fuck out of each other. Now, I know me and you share this opinion that Kota Ibushi's 2020 G1 is the greatest G1 performance of all time because he replicated everybody's style in nine straight matches. And two of those matches involved him having a literal just kicking match with Taichi and a match that really I feel gets overlooked him and Minoru Suzuki beat the hell out of each other in one of the most brutal matches I've seen that year I think you get that triad of him Nakajima and Kano I feel like that can spark something again yeah, I mean, you can you can already see it on Twitter. This mix, it, it's a, a weird mix of reactions of some AEW copium where people are going, "Oh, well, this this means that he could still show up in AEW because you know they're they're kind of working together, and Tony Khan can can bust out some more money and kind of make that happen." And then other people just legit excited at the possibilities of the matchups. And this is probably, and, and again, we're, we're being the freaks that we are. Obviously, our bubbles that we interact with are a little bit different than, than the casual fans' interaction with, with these various products. But it feels like this is kind of the most excitement, or at least the most interest in a while I've seen people talking about Noah mm-hmm. that aren't normal Noah watchers, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Um, right. So, and, you know, Abushi's got his own set of fans that are going to follow and watch and have been waiting for him to come back since last year. And um, Joel even joked with me going, oh, I guess you got to watch Noah now. And I went, well, at least I'll, I will at least watch the Abushi matches because I've already got the sub to uh, Wrestle Universe. So that's that's not a problem. So it's, they've already got my money. Yeah. But I'm sure they're going to be, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why, yeah, Cyber Fight lost a ton of money, but are willing to throw a bunch of money at Ibushi, because, in theory, they should be picking up a bunch of subs from people that want to see Ibushi in Noah and see what he does, um, and just general interest. But, of course, the flip side of this is that, see... When, when Damon and I discussed this, no one never came up in the options of where we thought Abushi could end up. And a big reason why I didn't bring up Noah was just mainly because I wasn't sure if any Japanese promotion of any size would be willing to touch him because of how his, his relationship with New Japan ended. 
And I, I think I'm somewhat right on this because again, in, in, in the Vogue, in the Voices of Wrestling report from Lanza, there's, yeah, Cyberfight is throwing a big bag of cash at him, but there's still concerns. One of which being is the, the potentiality of the minute Ibushi is free from New Japan, him doing a, a tell-all video, which is something that he threatened to do. He, th- he threatened this over the summer and that apparently, I think this also might have been in a, um, a, a report from Lanza, that New Japan was willing to give Ibushi time on New Japan World to tell his side. Uh, but Abushi did not want to do that because he feared that it would be edited and he would not be able to speak freely. And he, he, he had talked about it a couple of times on Twitter about maybe just going on YouTube or someplace and telling his story before cooler heads finally prevailed and told both sides just to shut the fuck up and let the year run out. So that is, and I think the phrase that's used in the real report this time around is that untouchable. That if he was to say whatever he thinks he has to say, it would make it so that they couldn't sign him, that he would just become just radioactive. Mm. So you've got that fear. And then Ibushi being Ibushi wants his 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 hourglass ring. He, and, and wants Cyberfight to, I think, somewhat help fund his his you know independent promotion or or whatever whatever outcro- outreach. Um, effort from the Ibushi Pro Wrestling Institute that he wants to do. Right. Some sort so of like I, wrestling so, promotion slash like geometry class with like what so the fucking rings that are three sided, eight sided, nine sided. Which which I am here for. Bring it on. But I can also understand from Cyberfight's perspective is is maybe not something that they're it's not a bridge that they're willing to cross yet. But I think all of that is clearly for them, while something to think about not so much to completely take that off the table I'm really, and if yeah. cyberfight wants and if and if cyberfight wants to make a play for for new japan what at this point what better play do they have than to bring abushi on i would say belt him up immediately and then just let him have banger matches yeah it's really incredible just the distrust for new japan that just permeates abushi at the moment like it's incredible just how sour this became because of one dopey ass booking assistant just couldn't keep his fucking mouth shut and had to be a dick for no reason and obviously it escalated to like catastrophic levels which is also actually that's one thing I forgot. The guy who said that Abushi, you know, what what did he what did he say about him? Like um melting down? Yeah. That's a pretty fucking callous thing to say, considering that the escalation moment of this whole thing was Abushi's mom trying to kill herself over the situation. If that guy even knows that part of the story. Not to say that that's a rational response to this, but like that happened and that's certainly a turning point where it's hard to turn back. Right. There's pretty much no, as, as I've said before, that's, that's when the bridge gets burned and you can't really go back. It's really unfortunate. Um, if, if, you, if, you're a per, if, if you're a person of any conviction, right? Because obviously, hey, maybe there's some other person that would have gone through that and then if maybe if New Japan had gone, oh, well, how about we put like an extra zero in your check? And just to kind of make this all go away and make you a little happier and 
You know, we'll we'll pay Mama's medical bills. Maybe it come back, but clearly for Bushi, it's all about principle and in his head, whatever the right thing, doing the right thing means. So I that's I just I just don't you know, as I said to Damon, you know, never say never because it's wrestling and anything is possible. I just I, I don't see Yeah Ibushi coming back right. anytime soon unless New Japan just completely cleaned house. And I'm not just talking the official, but I'm talking um talking Obari and just 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 wiping the slate clean. But I think even then, um I think the locker room would be so poisoned against him that's probably not even worth it. He is a very adamant, intransigent person again like i i have to stress this point again and reiterate it that the idea that abushi is this absent-minded imbecile this sort of uh toddler running around is is not accurate like this guy has deeply philosophical thoughts about things he may like accidentally like do random stuff i mean obviously he thinks that he can like orient and and like produce a 25 hour day that doesn't help my argument that he's actually an intelligent person but like these sort of things show he is yeah like you said the principles i thought obari and kadani i felt bad for them because they really got in a tough spot here because this dopey ass powerless imbecile did fuck so much stuff up that like by the time it got to them, it was just simply unsalvageable. And again, I just find it unfortunate because I still feel like this is the best place for him. For a lot of reasons. You know, a lot of the people, like you were saying, the legacy thing, there's a lot of people in that company that are training with him and that he has had an impact on. And I don't know, like he's going to cyber fight and I do appreciate the noah thing like we were talking about but like you said you have a wrestle universe subscription i do too it's like the best value in wrestling because it's not just noah but that's where things get tricky because where i really want to see him is ddt but for some which he doesn't want to do i so i would recommend if and this is for everybody go find the Wrestlers, which is a documentary series that was on Vice. It was done by Damian Abraham. And I think it's about, if I remember right, about 10 episodes long. And each episode focuses on different parts of wrestling. Like he goes in like wrestling in, in Chile. And, you know, he does a thing on um, Shane Strickland, Austin Theory, mm-hmm. um, Fred Yehi, and... Darby Allen, when they were all still all kind of on the independent scene. And he does a thing on death matches. And one of the episodes is on DDT. And I think the time frame for when this was all recorded, um, for when he got the footage, was pre-sale to Cyber Agent. And part of that is he interviews Ibushi. He actually gets to go to the secret lab. His and friend's spend backyard. Time with and yes, yeah, his friend's backyard, the the secret lab. But he also spends time with Ibushi at Ibushi's um, home. And they're talking about wrestling as an art form. 
in performance. Um, Damien Abraham, for those of you that don't know, is the lead singer for the punk band Fucked Up. And he's just a massive wrestling fan. He's been on post. He's been on some of uh, Chris Charlton's podcasts when he was doing um, the podcast version of Eggshells. And so they're talking about wrestling as, as an art. And Abushi says at the time that he, he saw the industry, again, I think this is about like 2016, 2017. He sees it, he saw it then going more towards the performers and away from the idea of promotions. That performers would get to the point that they could just do their own thing and that people would come to see them versus as much as I'm going to go see a WWE show or I'm going to go see a New Japan show. And that basically the workers would take control um, away from, excuse me, like management and the promotions, which is one of the reasons why I think he didn't go to AEW, right? Because All In is, that first All In is a perfect example of the workers banding together and putting on their own thing. It was three guys taking a chance on themselves. And then in comes Money Mark, Tony Khan, Booker of the Year, kind of fuck that all up and make AEW. But also in part of that, he's talking about DDT. And then he said that he never saw himself going back to DDT because he felt that DDT had lost their way. And that in trying to constantly fill these buildings like Sumo Hall, that they were becoming more pandering or commercializing themselves in going away from what had made DDT interesting to him. And the outside the box stuff. Um, and he just felt that that wasn't right. And and I'm sure he still feels that way today. And let's be honest, he's not entirely wrong. I think he's entirely wrong. No. I, I, I just... Okay. But that's... Okay, Abushi struggles a bit when he gets a bit too abstract. Um, it's actually funny. They sort of worked a shoot or shot a work. I don't know. when When he got the title and... That's another thing that I think sours him because, unfortunately, I guess we say both of them, him and Naito, fighting over the title last year with this bizarre philosophical battle over what the title should be. And now we know Abushi was being told to do all this stuff. He didn't give a fuck about getting a new title and, and separating them or merging them. But, I, you know, like he had to try to find a way to make sense of what he was being told to go out after. But he couldn't explain this, like disconnected metaphysical nonsense that they wanted him to. And oh God, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that because Abushi tried his best, but he couldn't make sense of it. And it was an incoherent mess. I don't really still get what he means when he says that DDT's lost its way because they're still doing that stuff. Like they're doing the street wrestling stuff all the time. I mean, they just had Sakaguchi in the, the mascot outfit and one of the best matches of the year, by the way. I don't get what he's upset about or agitated by. Had to unmute my mic there. Um, I think it's just mainly that, yeah, so you still have like some of the weird stuff. It's just not as much, right? There, obviously the pandemic has played into that a little bit, but this was even pre-pandemic. So where it was, it was more for lack of a better term, mainstream matches and not as much of the, you know, you still had the yearly campground show, 
but honestly, the campground shows become paint by numbers. Sure. Um, you know, so I think I think it's things like that, and how however it it fits into his his overall mindset. So, but it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Cyber Agent can can pull that trigger and get him on board. When when, when do they get him on board? I don't think it's going to be for the Muto show. I would love it if it was. Yeah. Again, again, just for the scenes, yeah. just just for the absolute scenes. I don't think that's going to happen though. I, I have uh, contract wise because I think New Japan's contracts. I think the earliest they normally expire is kind of the end of January. So maybe he pops up, you know, hopefully maybe February, March, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely kind of kind of thing to keep an eye on and and see how New Japan responds um, if that does happen and and going forward. It's a big loss for that, New Japan. I, I mean, it, it's a it's a big loss for them. Yeah. I mean, um, I know he hasn't been around, but like, you know, you put him on the roster now especially since some people that have, you know, matured since he's been gone. I don't know. Like, uh, I think it's a big loss and they're going to have to find a way to replace him. They certainly aren't lacking for young guys that could come in. It's just, are they going to bring them in? Right. Which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get to maybe talk about at some point. I don't know. Um, so I think that's, I think those are the, the three major pieces of news. I think there's some other minor news, but at this point, we've been talking over an hour about the news, and we still have <laughs> five shows and a strong show to cover. We definitely have a strong show to cover. Absolutely. Yeah. I that, yes. that episode of Strong is seared into my brain. I remember every second of it. <laughs> uh, well, we will uh, follow the Super Jcast pattern, though. We can, we can save that bad boy for last. So I guess we should just kind of start d- diving into uh, to the tag leagues. All right. So on December 5th, the first match was... We're not doing that. We're not going oh, next God. <laughs> so a few things was, we're not doing. To... There are a few things that are breaking the patterns of these like fill-in shows. Number one, me and Nicole are not married. We don't have kids. Right. Yeah. My wife is from the Netherlands. They don't have wrestling there, and she thinks wrestling is fucking stupid. And she's not wrong, but she doesn't like it in that way. Uh, number two, we are not going show by show. The, the tournament's over anyway. So I think we're going team by team, right? Yeah. Yeah, I prefer that. So I will let you pick whether we start with Super Junior Tag League or World Tag League. I'm going to throw it back at you just for a second here. Which one did you prefer, taking an overall pervasive look at things? Probably Super Junior. Okay. Tell me more. Okay. So, obviously, it's Tag League. A lot of people skip Tag League. I would normally be skipping Tag League. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't doing these shows, but I think between the two, I just felt overall the Super Junior Tag League at least had some visually interesting stuff. 
right? You you had you had juniors, some of which were doing typical junior flippy do things that would at least kind of pop you up out of your seat and get excited. Um, and World Tag League, honestly, for me, outside of the United Empire versus United Empire match, I'm not sure if any match would even think of of hitting a notebook, let alone actually getting into like a star notebook for the year. Hmm. Um, and I also think, I, and I think part of it is also that Aussie Open winning feels like a fait, a fait accompli. It felt like that from the moment that they got announced as being part of the tournament that, oh yeah, Aussie Open's going to win this and face FTR at Wrestle Kingdom. Where going into Super Junior Tag League, there wasn't a team that had that that vibe about them of, oh, it's it's their, this team is definitely going to go face catch 2-2. Two, two. Right. None of the teams had that vibe, right? At least for me. Sure. So, and, you know, the teams, so that that's where, why, ultimately, between the two, I think I enjoyed Super Junior Tag League just a, a smidge more. Now, this is interesting because, you know, you and Joel forced me to do this show. And when you did, I made sure I was going to watch every single one, even though I did want to skip these tours. But adding the Super Juniors to it made me want to watch these shows, especially after I thought, and now I think I can definitively say, the best of the Super Juniors this year was so much better than the G1. Resoundingly better. And more enjoyable, too. Now, obviously, they totally fucked up the G1 format, so that didn't help. Halfway through this tour, I thought the same thing. I thought we were replicating the same thing that happened earlier in the year. I thought that the Super Junior stuff was fresher. It was more energizing. But somewhere around the middle point, I think it was the second dual show, I thought World Tag League turned the corner, and I actually ended up liking World Tag League better. For one thing, Bushi fucking sucks. Um, I fell asleep during two Bushi matches. So even Teton couldn't keep me asleep when Bushi was there. But I thought the House of Torture stuff was actually better on the World Tag League side. And I think the House of Torture stuff really dragged down the Super Juniors. Joel's going to be upset at me, but I did enjoy the House of Torture stuff for the heavyweights. But I didn't enjoy it as much for the Juniors. Uh, The other thing was, like, what I thought made Super Juniors, the best of Super Juniors, so refreshing was that It was a bunch of new guys that we hadn't really seen before. And there was sort of an awkwardness in the ring, but the matches were sort of shorter and more compact than the G1. And there was something sort of charming about the way that they were sort of feeling things out. With the Super Junior Tag League this time, I felt like the matches being shorter actually took away from the idiosyncrasies of the wrestlers. Like, uh, Robbie Eagles pointed this out a lot. My close personal friend, Robbie Eagles, who's never been mad at me. He pointed out that Tiger or uh, him and Tiger Mask were the only tag team from Super Juniors that had done a Super Junior Tag League before. That part is cool on one side because it was very like new. There was a novelty to it. But I felt like some of these teams were a bit disconnected. And I felt like at times when you had two teams disconnected, they didn't really have a lot of time to smooth that out. So it felt like 
we're sort of repeating the same thing, like one heat segment and then just the typical disheveled tornado stuff. And at that point, I felt like the juniors, as the tour went on, became less ambitious with their matches. And some of it could have been matchups, but I felt like the, the World Tag League ended up peaking higher, especially because Aussie Open, who I thought were the best tag team of the whole thing. But I thought Bishamon, I liked uh, Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin. Like, my top matches and my top teams ended up coming from World Tag League because they were sort of yeoman's performances that just seemed to do a little bit more and do tag team wrestling a bit more the way that I want it. Like, oddly, I thought that the, the tag league, the heavyweights, did a little bit more frenetic stuff in the tornado sections. And I thought that what I was missing from Junior Tag League was a Red Dragon team. And I guess that's my frame of reference, is that Red Dragon's my favorite tag team, or modern tag team. Because they just end up just sort of pummeling people, just sort of lighting people up. And that their combo moves are sort of like move stuff, but also like actual like striking combinations. And I think I saw that more in World Tag League. So I think I actually liked World Tag League a little bit more, even though I think like if I like computed the numbers, like overall Super Juniors had a higher overall like baseline level. But World Tag League actually, I think, peaked higher for me. I, I I can get that. I think part of it for me was that I'm not a big fan of Bishamon. <gasps> I I was falling asleep through Bishamon matches. <gasps> Ladies and gentlemen, R- right? I apologize for this scurrilous stuff that Nicole is spouting here. Right. Um, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, somebody has to. Some somebody has to. So. Right. So that, so, you know, Bishamon really wasn't doing much, really wasn't doing much for me. Yes. Aussie open head and shoulders, the, the team of, of both tournaments, cause they were just killing themselves night in and night out. Oh yeah. Right. Um, it's like, okay, you guys don't have to go this hard in Beppu. <laughs> I know. Please. Um, but yeah, Bishamon really didn't do much for me. I liked Kid and Coglin. I call them the dumb jocks. Because what can be dumb jockier than having a move where you power bomb your tag team partner into your opponent? Well, they try to. Well, well God, yeah. I don't know how yeah, I don't know how Coglin fucked that move up on the last show, but he managed to. <laughs> um you know, Suzuki Goon is Suzuki Goon, TMDK. I I was only disappointed in that I really kind of would have liked to have seen Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. Mm-hmm. Not that I think Jonah would have had the conditioning to last through. Um, That's what Teets is there for. Tag. Right. Um, that, that I think that just would have excited me a little bit more. And then just just on and on. Yeah, the teams were good and the matches were good, but I I wasn't finding myself popping out of my chair or waking up or going ooh as much as I was doing super super junior tag league. Mm. 
in their flippy doom moments. Now, I will agree with you. Yeah, a lot of it was somewhat disjointed. And okay, here's an opening sequence. And then here's where we're going to do some flipping. But not every match was having flipping, right? It's, you know, yeah, Teton was flinging himself and Alex Zane was flinging himself. And, but it wasn't every match. And it wasn't every team. Mm-hmm. And then I felt overall that most of these matches, whether it's World Tag League or Super Junior, was really didn't come into their own until in the closing stretch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I and think- then also it. No, I was going to also say then, you know, also World Tag League, there was, to me, it felt like more filler teams. Right. You didn't think Suzuki Goon was going to win. You had what I like to call a cowboy bebop of Tana in, in, in Yano. Yeah. Uh, House of Torture. Right. You, you, no, no one was sitting there thinking that Evil and Yujiro were going to win. Nobody really thought LIJ was going to win because everyone keeps thinking that Naito is going to have his Wrestle Kingdom moment, which is at this point is like a crusty is coming moment. I don't think it's ever going to happen at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Naito's got to get his Wrestle Kingdom moment. Oh, the, oh, maybe it'll be like a six-man tag involving Muto. Um, I don't think that's happening, right? What a moment. So so, so overall, it's, uh, for me, again, that's why it was going into their thinking. It's, 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 it's Aussie Opens to lose. Sure. I mean, I think the... I actually was a bit confused. Uh, me and Joel talked about this, and we did actually predict both ones correctly for once. But like, without the champions there to lose on the final night to somebody, because FTR is obviously very strenuously booked in AEW, so they couldn't make it. We just didn't like which two teams. So I didn't like totally know which team was going to go with Aussie Open. But you know, I see what you're saying. I think uh, I think both leagues actually sort of contended very well and i think the fact that you had to think about it for a second is is quite a victory for world tag league which has been just utterly unwatchable for years now no that's fair that's fair i mean what was the year was it 2019 where they had like a 15 team block what the fuck was that nonsense remember that one oh i i've blocked it out that was Oh, yeah. No, that was... uh, Oh, Jesus. I'm going through the Wikipedia thing here, and it's like I have to scroll so much. Yeah, 2019. It was a 16-team block. A single block. Juice Robinson and David Finley won that with 26 points. You know... Yeah, and then promptly... And and then went on to win at Wrestle Kingdom to then drop it at an Atlanta show where David Finley was... The, the least pop-getting guy in his hometown. The Rebel. The Rebel. The Rebel. Yeah. Yeah. I, boy, I I skipped that tour, Nicole. So uh, I'm glad that World Tag League has corrected itself with this. Yes. All right. You want to go team by team? Yeah, let's go team by team. All right. Uh, yeah, let's. All right. Let's start with World Tag League then. I'll save the one that you liked for the Okay. All right. Uh, let me go by point standings then. So we've got uh, the two that came out of this. Obviously, the the top team was, as you said, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, Aussie Open, and like you said, they had one hell of a tournament. 
I mean, that match against um, who I like to refer to as Holy Seaman Army of Great Okan and Hinare, that definitely matched the tournament. And that might, if I was feeling saucy, sneak into my top 10 of the year. Because they just went way balls out for that match. And it wasn't even the main event, right? That nope. was what, like the semi-main? No, it wasn't even that. Um, all right, let me pull it up here. It was the... Sorry, I should have this all up. Uh, it was the... Oh, my God. It was the uh, the the under the semi-main, so the third from the top. Right, so third from the top. You still go all out with, you know, again... I thought was match of the tournament, possibly a top 10 of the year for me. Just, just Aussie open. I think for me is tag team of the year. I mean, the main, just been killing it. The main event of that show was bebop tag team versus TMDK. I don't know about you, but I felt like uh, United empire versus United empire was clearly the more favorable matchup as far as what you'd want for a main event. Yeah. I'm not even sure if Tana like broke a sweat in that match against TMDK. I got a lot to say about Tana. We're reaching a point with him. Uh, yeah. Aussie Open are fucking relentless. They are like the closest, like I was saying, that sort of red dragon pinnacle that I'm looking for. Like they do so many combination things well, but they just will just light people up. And that's what I want to see. Uh, and actually, uh, funny, I did keep track of this. So they won six matches, and then they got the forfeit. Uh, five of those pins were for Kyle Fletcher. But Fletcher took all the losses. So I don't know where that sits, but they were uh, they were clearly like the work rate team here. They just did everything well. And it was crisper than everybody else in the tournament. Well, and I think part of that is that they're the only Maybe not the only team, but there, there, there's very few instances, and I think only when um, Davis was injured, that Fletcher had singles matches, right? Mm -hmm. before, before they were finally able to come to New Japan. But as soon as they came to New Japan, it's just, we're doing tag work. We're not, we're not working separately in the G1 or any of these other tournaments. We are just tag guys and that's what you want to see from a tag team this is not like you know dangerous techers where yeah they work well together as a tag team but also do their solo stuff and i'm trying to think if there's an if there was another tag team off the top of my head that you could say that about at the moment i don't know i mean not not, right, not at the you, level that they do it right just you know because again we're gonna say like suzuki goon they're they're only together for tag league cowboy bebop only together for tag league okan was not with his normal partner he was with hinari um gabe and coglin put together for tag league i guess the only other one maybe you you could have remotely said that about was was chase and Fale when they were in it because they'd done some tag leagues together before um, Evil Yujiro, yeah, they've done tag leagues previously together, 
But again, they kind of do their solo stuff, but they also do the trio stuff. So, um, and on and on. Gosh, I'd put Bishamon in the same level. I think they, they the thing that they do the best is combo stuff. <laughs> but they're also, but they're also, well, but they're also singles guys. I don't know if they you know, are they're at this both... point. I mean, this tag team has been. Well, they keep get, but they keep getting thrown in. Yes, yes, they've got their own name, team name now, and they've got their own theme, and they've got matching sticks. And Yoshihashi now looks like an extra from Seven Samurai to kind of go with Goto's warrior aesthetic as well. So yeah, we've got all of that. But again, G1, they're entering G1. We needed warm bodies for the TV title. So they're both in the tournament. New Japan Cup, they're in that. Mm. So... Yeah, they're they've got the tag team, but they still do singles competitions. Aussie Open doesn't do that. Right, they don't do anything. I don't ever stuff, right. right. I don't ever expect to see either of them in a G one. Unless something like catastrophic happened and they needed warm bodies. I see that in the future for Kyle Fletcher, because he's just so innately unlikable. He's just like a concentration <laughs> of everything that you hate about Australian people. Just the wall of teeth, the high set cheekbones, the natural tan. But he's also 23. Like, there's a lot of time for him to get there. Like, he's fucking 23. Right, that, yeah. It's insane how good he is at 23. Um, also, by the way, Very. with Kyle Fletcher, um, when they came out on the last night to see who would, they were going to face in those last two matches, Kyle Fletcher wearing the three-piece suit, big fan. Always uh, support somebody wearing the the waistcoat. I'm actually wearing one right now because I didn't get to change it in my work clothes, but good on Kyle Fletcher, even though he is very inherently detestable. Which is, which is what you want in heels. Or, or tweeners, or whatever we're considering a United Empire. Well, you know, when they tricked me into watching AEW because they had Osprey on there, Aussie Open backing him up were so fucking annoying. It was fantastic. Like, they made the yeah. match. So they're great in that role. They're great in every role. Uh, and I think we'd have to assume that they're probably going to win, but they did technically win the block with that weirdness of two people coming out of a block. All right, now the second one... Uh, also with 14 points, was Bishamon, Goto and Yoshihashi. Um, actually, I forgot to say this. I, I do have some stats here. Uh, Aussie Open had averaged 14 minutes and three seconds a match. That was actually fourth. Uh, and But they're actually second in grapple rating. I do grapple rating. I do the cage match nonsense. Uh, and Bishamon averaged 14 minutes and five seconds a match. That was good for third overall, uh, counting both leagues. And they were fifth in grapple rating so far. Now, you said you fell asleep for Bishamon's matches, so explain yourself. I just... I, that team has never done anything for me. I have never gotten overly excited about Yoshihashi... I know everybody in the summer of 2020 mm -hmm. when he was becoming the, the so-called king of Korokin and oh my God, Yoshihashi's turned a corner. And, and I was sitting there going, 
I don't want to sit here and watch closing stretches of Yoshihashi versus Doki. As much as I like, as much as I like Doki, I was, I was like, God, I don't, I don't need to see another closing stretch of Yoshihashi bleeding like a goat and barely winning the day. Um, they just, the team just overall just doesn't do anything for me. I hate the war drum bit. Don't you say it. Just. It's just stupid. Hold on, it's because I don't. I'm gonna give you. I don't technically know what you're talking about. So, what do you mean when you say the war drum bit? It's the bit where they get their opponent and they have him and the, and they push him down, uh-uh. so then they can beat on his back. I don't like where this is going. Okay, so that is one of my favorite spots in wrestling. I will pop for it every single time. If they have a multi-man match and they do it to four people in a row, I will pop every single time. It's same thing with the sushi pose. I love Goto being a fucking dork in the ring. And you humorless utilitarians that hate this or hate the, the paradise lock as well, which we'll get to, I've got this in my notes. I will support this. He is the king of Corrigan. He always will be. He's an endgame genius. And the one thing that I especially like about this team, they do combo stuff in a really interesting way that I don't think many teams are really doing. I love the misdirection that they do because they do three or four different things where it's like Godo's big barrel-chested samurai cosplay body just sort of shields the vision of the person in front behind them and then yoshihashi comes out with something usually a super kick because yoshihashi's turned into a super kick guy this was my number two team of the turn no this is my number three team of the tournament i loved everything they did i thought the match with lij was phenomenal it was one of my top ones I actually really like the match that they had with Suzuki Goon as well. I think that they've put concerted effort into being an actual tag team. And I think that the chemistry that they have really works. I'm no, t- I, I, I don't, I'm I don't so deny bad. the chemistry. I don't, I, I don't deny the chemistry. I don't deny that they've actually put work into being a tag team. I'm just saying it doesn't excite me. I have I have no desire. The thought of them possibly winning in a couple of hours and facing FTR at Wrestle Kingdom does not excite me. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I have it. no desire to see that. Give me Aussie Open versus FTR. Finish off that. Don't, that, don't that, you that program. find it at least amusing that Yoshihashi tries so hard to appear like a person with an eruption of emotions and yet he just can't seem to make his face do anything but that dopey expression like even now he just screams louder and louder but his face stays the same nothing come on Poor no, no it's I'm, I'm like I'm I'm puzzled and by the fact that, okay, great, we got a new theme, but we still come out to the same time pace as Yoshihashi coming out to, to his solo theme. They still take forever to get to the ring. That's a chaos thing. 
Right. They all take so fucking long. All right, fine. Let me give you this. After they beat LIJ, now Yoshihashi in the backstage comments leading up to that match was talking a lot of trash. Now, Yoshihashi is usually the same thing as his face. He says a lot of words, but it sort of just doesn't have a lot of impact. But here's what he said after they beat uh, Naito and Sonata. As I've said before, those guys are a couple of hot shots, especially Naito, who Goto and I have pestered for a long time. Today we had your guys' number. Naito, shouldn't you be in more of a rush? If you blow this World Tag League, you can kiss your Tokyo Dome goodbye. You already blew your singles match. You saw the league as an easy way in? I don't think so. And then he starts talking about how Sonata should be teaming with Taichi instead of Naito. I grow more smitten with this man every day. No, Yoshihashi has some great one-liners. He's done some good promos in the past. Oh, he just obliterated Naito. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was that was good. He's right. Sonata should be teaming with Taichi. I mean, you're talking about bringing the women in, and we're talking about, like, the BL crowd and the Fujoshis. I mean, you weren't kidding. Like, the last tour in September, the entire tour, Taichi and Sonata spent the entire tour popping their pecs and then feeling each other up. And I mean, really feeling each other up there, getting in there. It's my feud of the year. Pretty much. So... All right, so Bishamon ended up getting uh, second. Now, I wasn't expecting them to do this well, but TMDK came in at 12 points, uh, limited in the last night. Uh, they averaged 11 minutes and 15 seconds a match. That was 11th overall for both tours. Uh, the grapple rating's a bit lower. They're actually 16th overall. So what did you think of TMDK in their first tag league? I enjoyed TMDK. Um, they weren't... Again, nothing was, for me, was mind-blowing. But it was just, again, seeing some fresh people, seeing them back together for for a tour of Japan, and just kind of trying to remember them in their Noah run, Mm. things like that. Mikey Nichols was confusing me. Yeah. His whole whole mad Mikey Nichols, which I think just was tantamount to him, just keep yelling, come on. Come like every on. two seconds, come come on and like swinging at the camera. <laughs> He's got a half Honma it, going on. Come on, yeah. But honestly, they're the team that I would have liked to have seen in the finals against Aussie Open. I loved that match. Yeah, I I love that match too. I want to see it again. Um, maybe we see it if Aussie Open is able to to get the titles off of FTR. Maybe TMDK is the uh, the first defense. Mm. What what I called the battle for Australia. I think there should be like a little golden kangaroo that is the prize that you get if you win that match. You get to control the giant wall that keeps the dingoes out. Yeah. You know, TMDK, like, like you're saying, like, which with with Mad Mikey and uh, oh, what's Shane Hayes calling himself? Like, he's the delirious one or whatever the fuck. Hysterical. Okay, so these backstage comments with these two, the performative weirdness. Like, I know that this is all a performance; it's fucking fake. But it reminds me of that thing. Like, Steve Martin was given an award, and Martin Short was like given the speech. 
And he said that he loves Steve Martin's acting because whenever he goes to a film, he looks up and he says, boy, is Steve acting. These two come out and they are so demonstratively weird, but it's so aggressively weird that all I think of is, God damn, they are definitely trying for me to think that these are two weird people. And then they switched over to Mikey sort of just like watching uh, Haste just do his bizarre mannerisms in the back. Uh, I don't know what he learned in promo class down in Orlando, but it's not subtle. It's actually kind of fun that it's not so subtle, but it's overwhelming for sure. And they don't really do a lot of that in their ring work. They still are kind of just TMDK. Like, you know, my favorite thing that they did all tournament was, and they only did it twice. They just sort of stand on either side of the guy and just start slapping them. They did that to Gabe Kidd and they did that to Tanahashi. That's what I'd like to see. Um, Especially since they were such a finesse team in NXT, probably because they were so neutered there. I think it is it is a weird thing. Every match of theirs was good, but it never reached an extra level until they got in there with with Aussie Open. Oh, and they also do that thing. I, probably my my second or third favorite move in the tags of New Japan is that they do that thing where Haste has the guy up on the top rope for the superplex, and then Mikey Nichols comes and power bombs Haste, and then acts surprised that he just actually hurt his partner. And that's like the subtlety that they don't have in the backstage. He actually pulls it off really well. But I thought they had a really great tournament. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree. Like I said, I wanted them to, to be in the finals. And probably after Aussie Open, they were the ones I was kind of most interested in seeing what they did. Mm. Well, they, they go into backstage comments and they just sort of spin around and just say bizarre phrases. Pretty much. Just a, we're eccentric. Do you get it? Even though you're all pushing 40. Well, I guess I am too. All right. So TMDK came up short and so did LIJ. So we've got Naito and Sonata at 12. Now, I know that it's hard to believe this, but LIJ actually were number one in match time. Believe it or not, Naito once again took the cake. 17 minutes and 28 seconds. Uh, and that actually paid off to still being fourth in grapple. So what did you think of LIJ's run? No, I, I, I enjoyed LIJ's run. They're probably overall as a unit, one of the most cohesive and ones that you, that it doesn't matter what permutation of guys you put together, you're going to get a a solid team out of, that gives you something that you want to watch. They've got that connection, whether it's, you know, tag teams, trios, multi-mans, that you just want to sit and watch. Um, granted, it's also great because it gives you an opportunity to go to the bathroom or get something to drink because you know night is going to take about five hours to get to the ring. So on the undercard on 12-7, he took five minutes to get to the ring. Uh, that was brutal. Well, you know, I enjoyed it because I could see how much he was enjoying it. I actually, um, by my ratings, 
Um, they were actually my number two team. I actually, they were number one for most of the tournament. I thought that their stuff was the most connected, and and the I thought they meshed as almost as good as Aussie Open. Although I do have to throw something out there. Uh, number one, Sonata is good. Uh, stop saying he's not. If you say that, you don't know what you're talking about with New Japan. Same thing with Ishimori's dogging it. But Naito messed up the combination Cambrone twice on this tour. One time he couldn't even get over the ropes. And I'm just wondering about the knees. Because I've never seen him mess that up. And he messed it up so bad that he couldn't even get over to start the thing. And then another time he had to do it twice. Just throwing that out there. I mean, the knee should always be a concern with Naito. I know it's somewhat been memed to death because of Dave making it sound like he's, you know, one combination cabron away from, like, retirement. But, no, it's a valid concern because we, we watched it all through 2021 of his knee being an issue off and on. I mean, besides the G1 explosion. He had that issue in February leading up to the match against Ibushi Mm -hmm. um, for just the IC title where they had to pull him from the the Road 2 shows to try and keep those knees together. Right, as if that that program wasn't going well enough. By the way, that's my favorite thing where they were going to do an angle where where, Naito attacks Ibushi's knee and then makes fun of him for having an injured knee in kayfabe while he's making fun of Abushi's kayfabe knee injury, he's actually in the ring with a legitimate knee injury. Right. Ultimate worker, Naito. <laughs> but right. so it's no, but I, I noticed the mess ups on the combination Cabron too. Um, and then it was the match against, let me flip through my notes here. There was, um, I think it was against Suzuki Goon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Couple flubs there. Yeah, so LIJ Suzuki Goon, I actually have, if I can read my own handwriting, um, he had, uh, towards the end, he had that sequence with Suzuki that just looked fucked up. Like he goes for the... um, Destino, and that looked botched. Yeah, that, I mean, the Destino is a horrible finishing move. Half the time, you can just tell that the guy's lifting him up. But then that actually happened a couple times on this tour where, like, he gets halfway up, and then the opponent has to kind of, like, scamper forward to get him over the top. And Suzuki's legs are not what they used to be. Yeah, and he just just kind of crumbles, and yeah. it was that I I, I just kind of went ooh. Yeah, and, well, because right before that, they did that thing where Sonata like kicks Naito's leg up to do that assisted tornado DDT, and instead of taking a DDT bump, Suzuki just sort of sat down. Yeah, that was awkward. That that whole closing stretch was awkward. Yeah, that was a good match, too, up until that point. Yes. Because I'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about Suzuki-Goon, but it's nice to see that nature is healing 
as Lance Archer terrorizes children. Oh, highlights of the tour. All right. So, oh, well, let's get to somebody who, who saves children. So we had the United Empire team, Great O'Connor and Aaron Hanare. Uh, they had 10 points. Uh, they were, they averaged uh, 12.57 for fifth, which is kind of surprising because it's kind of understated there. Uh, Grapple, of course, just never gives Great O'Connor enough credit. They have him 12th overall. So United Empire. This version of United Empire. Or, or again, Holy Seaman Army. You know, I, can Hanari just fucking stop? So the No Nut November he, thing, like spelling sex, S-E-C-K-S, like he's got the blazer t-shirt relationship coach look to him. Not to mention, like, do I mention his my, hair? My, it, Is it mean to mention his hair? Well, I've, I don't know if you've been blocked by Hanari, but I've been blocked by Hanari, so, you know. Not yet. I'm, I'm not worried. My my overall issue with Holy Seaman Army is that I, I like Okan better with Cobb. I think mm-hmm. they mesh better together. I think personality-wise, they're a better fit. I always feel the um, like so the final the final match for them of the tournament was them versus uh, Cowboy Bebop. Right, so you know that there's going to be some Yano shenanigans because Okan and, and Yano have um, have that history, yep. and Tanahashi gets to have fun when he's in the Bebop setup and be a little more healy and kind of have some fun as well, and Okan can have fun as well and do that mix of this of the serious and the silly, and I never, and then Hanari comes in. And the whole vibe changes because he's just got to be super serious, primal bro, ultimate weapon. Yeah. And he, and it just, it sticks out like a sore thumb, really with the entire vibe of United Empire as a whole, where everybody else are, are kind of these kind of tweener dickheads of varying degrees. You've got Okan, who is the weeb that saves children. And then there's just super serious Hanari, who, at least character-wise, doesn't feel like could ever crack a joke if his life depended on it. Just austere, stern, gruff nonsense and mumbling. Just these these nonsense invectives, whereas, like, Great O'Conn's, like, weaving poetry back there. And stuff that's, like, legitimately, like, has panache to it. And Hanari is just... There's a vacuousness to like the masculinity that he's presenting. I would have liked to have seen Hanari join Suzuki Goon. Be a better fit, especially with his style. Um, right, and just just join Suzuki Goon and hit people and be sadistic and have a good time, and I think it would have fitted ten times better than what he is with United Empire right now. Yeah, but like, the, the problem there, well, I'll get to it when we get to, to Suzuki Goon, but like there's a very different vibe to Suzuki Goon when Suzuki's not around. I don't like uh, Hanari and Taichi seem like a very bizarre combination to me. I don't think Hanari would. 
you know, like amalgamate well with Tai Chi's like like caustic humor. No, but he could he could fill that role that Suzuki fills of the sadistic just takes pleasure in in torturing people. He could he could he could be that surrogate figure when Suzuki's not on tour. Sure. Of course, Sonari, of course, joining this group to escape the perdition of Undercard Hell, he actually, uh, they lost five times and he ate, or no, they lost four times and he ate three of those pinfalls. So, stasis. Pretty much. All right, so uh, now we get into the teams that had losing records, and once again, in another tournament, Tanahashi has a losing record, which is something that he's done every tournament for the last three years. Uh, Bebop Tag Team, Toro and Hero, uh, they had eight points, and boy, they gave them a lot of main events on this one. Uh, they ended up with 10 minutes, 51 seconds, which was 15th for time, because, you know, Yano's not sticking around for this. Uh, and obviously they are not rewarded by Grapple. Grapple does not like them at all, even with Tanahashi there. They were 18th overall in Grapple rating. Uh, Nicole... Is Yano the most insufferable person alive at the moment? Taguchi exists. Right? I mean... I want to call the cops, I, I, like, local cops on Taguchi, let alone calling Japanese cops on Taguchi. Like, Yano just I, screams I, I, at this time. Like, he has nothing left. He can't move. No, but at least well, well, neither can Tanahashi. Oh my god! So they're a perfect tag team, right? Right. But I actually like Yano better in this setup than say having to sit through a G one of Yano. I do because yeah. he yeah because he's able to because Tanahashi is clearly having fun in this. And that's all I really expect out of Tanahashi in World Tag League with Yano. I'm not expecting work rate Tanahashi. I just want Tanahashi, and, and I'm sure New Japan feels the same way. You just want Tanahashi to show up, put some butts in seats, and be, be a reason for people to come out into these hinterland shows that they're running, which is really like the only reason why he and Naito are on this tour is just to sell tickets and to be the big attraction that people come out and see. Because it's not like people were, co- were going to come out to see Chase and Foley. <laughs> well, yeah. Right? And, 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 so, and then they can play off each other and have some fun. And Yano doesn't have to be in the ring all that long. Tanahashi doesn't have to be in the ring all that long. Just show up, show your titties off, do your little bebop pose. You know, wrestle for what, like ten, like you said, ten some odd minutes at best. That's the average, yeah. Do do, right. Do a high fly flow. Do an aces high. Go home. Hopefully, don't get injured. All I really want to know from Tanahashi at this point is when he's going to get some common rider geats gear because he didn't have many a revise made, which tells me he didn't like revise because he got saber gear made, but he didn't get revise gear made. And I'm hoping to see some Geats gear. And that's really all I care about at this point is when, when Tanahashi is going to get some new Kamen Rider themed gear. I appreciate the commitment to the characters because uh, 
it's based on a very famous manga called Bebop High School, which essentially invented the delinquent Yankee manga trope. And this would have been something that they were reading when they were kids. The problem here is that Tanahashi is fucking washed. At least in, in like, it's getting to distressing levels. So against TMDK, you know how he does the thing where he's got you in a headlock and then you bounce off the ropes and then he holds it? Yeah. He stumbled on that. He couldn't even do that. That's how fucked up his legs are. So Tanahashi's getting concerning. Yano has nothing left. He just sort of screams and just sort of yells. The problem here is that it's it's over. Like Yano Taguchi and like the Japanese fan expectations, they just love this stuff. I don't know what else to say. They 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 basically filled the role of night off, right? Like if you're facing them, you know you're going to get in, you're going to get out, you're not going to get injured, hopefully, provided Tana doesn't land wrong on you. That's coming. When he's, it's well, it's it's coming, but, and I mean, Tanahashi's been concerning for a few years. I mean, we were saying it in 2018 after he won the G1, thinking that, oh, well, this is going to be Tana's last run, and he's still around awesome. in the upper mid, you know, and he's still winning titles, not the big boy titles, but they're still putting belts on him, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much of that is just pandemic dictated. And how much of that is is Tana kind of behind the scenes going, you're going to have to drag my my dead body out of this ring kind of deal? Um, and how much of it is that he's still a draw? He's still okay. somebody that people want to see. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to find find some way to make that happen, to still get him out there. Um, but that somewhat, you know, limits what he's got to do in a perfect world. Tanahashi's probably not even in tag league. You got to preserve this guy. Cause like he's, he's hitting the second half of his forties. He's getting deep into those and he's just desperately trying to hold on to the body of his youth. And it's not, he's losing that battle. And I mean, he makes most of his backstage comments about it now, which he's been doing for years. Just... I mean, that was the whole that was the whole thrust of the Golden Aces Dangerous Techers feud was can Tanahashi pull his weight? <laughs> Spoiler alert, he couldn't. He couldn't ultimately. But we're just seeing this, this slow decline, and eventually he'll he'll move he'll move to dad status. But it's just going to take a while. Botox doesn't give you abs. So, all right, let's keep going here. Suzuki Goon, eight points. Oh, by the way, uh, Yano took every fall and Tana got every pin there. But uh, Suzuki Goon got eight points. They started hot, but then they sort of faded there by the end. Uh, 11 minutes, eight seconds for 12th overall. And, you know, Grapple can go fuck itself. Captious bastards. They're 19th overall for Grapple. They were one of my favorite tur- uh, of uh, teams of the tournament, and I thought Suzuki was excellent the whole way through. Well, because the matches were, were were geared perfectly to what Archer and Suzuki can do, right? 
It's, you know, Archer comes out, screams, everybody, everybody dies, terrorizes Milano, Poor Milano, terrorizes children, and then, you know, hits his kind of greatest hit stuff. And I'm not, I'm not bagging on Archer at all for that. And Suzuki was allowed to, to hit people and be mean and be cruel and, but again, not have to put in some crazy work rate deal or any any proper expectations right just come out have your match um scare some people let the crowd sing kaze ni nair go home yeah i mean listen suzuki bull rushing that poor girl on the ninth was possibly the highlight of the tournament I and mean, he took a full fucking sprint at her and she was terrified then he took the the chair to the kid which was even better Every match at these, my, my, yeah. No, I was going to say my favorite bit was actually the final night of of Gabe actually picking up a child and using that <laughs> child to hit Suzuki. It was great. <sighs> Got a lot to say about Gabe, too. Uh, the one thing I did find offensive was uh, that they did lose to House of Torture, and Minoru Suzuki selling for Yujiro is fucking offensive to me. Uh, Yujiro's just a mess. He's just a total nothing. Uh, everything he but he's a, does, what, what? I was gonna say, but he's got a hip haircut. He sets things up that are so fucking boring, like the running boot and all that stuff. Like he belongs in the eighties with his haircut. Who's slower? Who's slower, Yujiro or Hanma? Oh, okay. Listen. Hanma moves better than Tanahashi right now. Yeah. Like Hanma actually for his I mean he looks like like every bone in his body has been fused below the waist. But he was moving fairly well. He's actually getting stronger. Whereas yeah, I mean Yujiro Yujiro moves faster, but I think that's not really by choice. Yujiro just sucks. He's a waste of a spot. Um, now, we had a question that I can tie in here to Suzuki-Goon. Because Suzuki's been talking a lot in the back. Now, usually it's with that demented, steely, zealous uh, delivery of his. But starting very early on in the tour, he started talking about something that he had. Some sort of epiphany that he had while traveling the world. Now, we had a question... I forgot to put who it's from. Do you have that? The Jake Lee one? Um, yeah, so Kid Kilowatt. Yes. The actual question is, where does Jake Lee from All Japan is leaving? What are the chances that he he is the Suzuki Goon surprise new member? The connection may be his brief MMA career. How will he do in New Japan? Yeah, that's the only piece of news that we forgot to touch on was that apparently... That, well, not apparently. Jake Lee has announced that he's leaving all Japan. And the presumption is that he's going to pop up in New Japan. I don't think he's the Suzuki Goon member. No. Partly because his contract is probably expiring um, January 1. And unless I am mistaken, Suzuki's promising in that we're going to see this new member in... a, a 
I'm looking at my clock in, in a couple of hours, right? Uh, yeah, we're getting closer and closer to it. Yeah. So I so I don't I don't think it's Jake Lee, at least not at least not for this debut. Now, maybe when Jake Lee, presuming that he does show up in New Japan, maybe he does end up in Suzuki Goon. But I don't I don't think it's going to be in like five hours. No, I think I I I kind of hope it's it's you it's a uh, Uemura. That would make sense that they that they in in and this partly ties into obviously um, New Japan New Japan brass like ahead of guys like Abari have felt that the young line system is not moving fast enough and that uh, Narita and Umino were brought back a little bit sooner than maybe they would have normally been brought back because there's this directive from on high to start progressing these guys faster and, and moving them through the system a little bit faster, which is also why we get Oscar Lube um, already, you know, taking matches and why Kevin Knight gets graduated mid tour from young lion to fully fledged member of the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, so bringing you, so bringing Yuya in as a Suzuki goon member would be a fit. My outside the box is I would love it to be Gabe. That's interesting you bring that up. Hold that thought. Um, I, I do think you're on the right track there because Suzuki literally did say, I've been stretching people from America, Canada, and England. I saw it. I found what I was looking for. I don't think Jake Lee, who is essentially an Okada side Sonata, is the answer. And he's certainly not somebody that's going to fit in with the Suzuki Goon ethos because one of the things I really want to stress is that having Suzuki back, and especially with Archer, again, these guys that won World Tag League 10 years ago, they are the, the concentrated platonic form of what Suzuki Goon's supposed to be. You know, when Suzuki's not around, it's sort of a, a lighthearted, scampish, roguish tweener group with Despi and Taichi and that stuff. But you feel that sense of pernicious danger when Suzuki comes back. He can still move very well and he still wrestles very well. He's not what he used to be even five, six years ago. But that sense of 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 balefulness that he brings is palpable and you don't see it when he's not there. So that's why he's it's it's nice to see him and also nice to see Archer because I'd like to see Archer on more tours. I think we should get three, four tours. They're not doing anything with him in America anyway. And you can obviously see that the Japanese fans love him and that he fits New Japan better. Yeah. Um, The reason why I'm saying Gabe is because that final night, I loved Gabe coming out in jeans and a t-shirt with a chair and just telling Suzuki to come bring it and fighting the Suzuki goon style. And then that entire match, she's just getting walloped and he's walloping back and he keeps getting back up and he's almost loving it as much as Suzuki. And I feel like that would be a thing that Suzuki, Suzuki would dig. Yeah. And he would appreciate that, that that he would appreciate Gabe coming at him like that. There's a connection there because Gabe kid, when he was doing the young lion thing in 2020, caught an incredible promo about how, Suzuki Goon came to England and then he actually came up to Despi and Suzuki when they were training and and asked if he could train with them and apparently they like you could tell that actually meant a lot to him so the there's a well we'll get to it there's a bizarre relationship uh dynamic between Coughlin and Kid 
Uh, but first, we need to get through some of the other losers. Uh, Evil and Yujiro, House of Torture, uh, went on a long losing streak. Uh, they were ended up 10 minutes, 31 seconds, which was 16th overall. And as you could guess, they are dead last from Grapple 20. Uh, they actually, that, that time actually bumped up because, of course, Naito has to have a 17-minute fucking match with House of Torture on the last night. But House of Torture, they lost a lot. Should they be winning more than this? I think it. I think it fits, right? Again, they. You need to have spoilers, no pun intended, to make the math work. You need to somewhat keep evil somewhat relevant because, in theory, he's a guy you could heat up if he needed somebody to go fight for the big boy belt mm -hmm. because he's held it before. And it's another case of the audience is into it. Every time at a cheering show, House of Torture started doing House of Torture things, that audience turned into like a panto play. Sure. Boo, yeah. hiss, you know. On oh, cue. no, it isn't. On cue. And, and, and the crowd is just eating it up. That's what I'm saying. We may not, like, it, it's certainly more, like, delectable than the utter garbage that we're getting from Taguchi and, and Yano. Um, yeah, it is like they get to play Western wrestling fan and, you know, let's go get the heat boys. I, I, you know, like they lost so much at the beginning and obviously their purpose here was to just spoil LIJ at the end. But I do think we are getting to the point, believe it or not, where I think house of torture just simply loses too much and they look so buffoonish that I do think with like they actually need to win a bit more going forward to actually be some sort of threat where you actually are worried that they are going to do something because they just keep failing. But that's where the trios tag. That's that's where the the never six man come in because they always manage to win that. They do always manage to win that. Uh, of course, Yoshihashi made those belts what they are. Uh. Now, this is a tricky one because we got Fale and, and Chase. I'm not even going to give the stats on them because they only wrestled uh, four matches. But um, Fale ended up after this going through a series of matches with Young Lions. And what we were focusing on is that, uh, especially with Loibe and Nakashima, who we trained in New Zealand, he cut these backstage promos. And I think Foley's an underrated backstage comment guy. As somebody who watches every backstage comment, I think there's a profundity to stuff that he says. I think he's also funnier than people give him credit for. But there was like a profundity when he sort of just stopped after the Loibe match backstage comment. And he just said, like, it, this isn't an easy life. And it just the way he said it was really deep. And we're a folly, a pro folly crowd here, by the way. No, I'm I'm enjoying seeing folly in the beginnings of his dad phase, and reach and giving back what he got from Nagata. Right, we mm -hmm. all remember Nagata's last G one against folly, and you know, you know, senpai versus kohai, and now we're starting to to see that cycle again with with Fale and the kids from the New Zealand dojo. Yeah, and and 
I mean, it's clear that this is like the stuff that he tells them in the dojo, but I found it compelling. And listen, we've talked about this. If you listen to Tomatonga's podcast, Folly is incredibly slow and he's incredibly out of shape. But like he said, like he doesn't want to go that slow. Like they're forcing him to do this. Yeah, he's just, yeah, they've got him filling a role and he fills the role. And we all, you know, moan and groan because he's just big, slow dude. But when he wants to go, he can he can go as best as he can because they, they keep telling him to go eat as much Chonko as, as possible. The stuff with Archer but is I, really I'm, great. Yeah, um, but I'm just excited to see him, you know, against his kids. Oh, actually, you know, this is a good chance for me. We we did forget one thing. So he's the monster bull, but we have had another monster pop in. Uh, well, I don't know who it is. Somebody asked about uh, Jonah, because I forgot to bring this up with the TMDK, that Jonah sort of tweeted a thing where he's beating on Okada and with 2023 on his head, and does this mean Jonah's saying? Is Jonah in New Japan in 2023? I'll believe it when I see it. I hope so. I mean, I would love it, but obviously I don't, uh, until he shows up, hopefully to the challenge Okada at the end of Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I'm not sure. Cause obviously his name keeps swirling around as, as somebody that, that Hunter would like back. It connects to the Archer thing. Cause you see the response that he gets from the Japanese crowd. He's 34. I feel like he can take two years to become... You see how they're pushing him. New Japan doesn't push people frivolously. If he stays there, they're going to to push him hard. And quite frankly, what he's going back to is an inconsistency because they did not push, push him as hard as people think he did. they did in NXT. They gave him that whatever nonsense secondary title, but they never gave him a sustained push. It was always start-stop. This might be the most robust push he's ever gotten, at least outside of his home territory. So I think the best decision is him for to, to stick around for a couple years and see where that goes. And then he can build his name. But who knows? Triple H is sort of the worker whisperer. He got Bruno in the Hall of Fame, so who knows? He can talk anybody into anything. All right, last group. Uh, we've got the Alex Coughlin, Gabe Kidd, LA Dojo team, uh, 11.03 for 13th place in the time. And they are inexplicably, uh, 14th in grapple rating. I had the most fun watching this team of any of the 20 teams. Well, as I said earlier, they're just, they were just big, dumb jocks doing big, dumb jock things. And you know, just, I don't know if they were having a good time because, you know, Gabe cuts that pre-match promo on the last night about how, you know, he's mad about the fact that he and Coughlin were in tag league and they complained about England getting knocked out of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, my my greatest thing was I, I love Gabe and I get that his his whole thing is young bull and honoring Tenzon, I just wish he wasn't doing as much of the Tenzon tribute act. 
between the Mongolian chops and yelling, okay, brain buster. Um, I don't get Coglin's android thing. He's not an android, okay? He's the most eruptive emotional force. And listen, he's a metaphorical android. I've thought about this a lot, Nicole. I think he is the manifestation of the modern man confronting the impotence of his emotions. He's like spraying spittle everywhere in his last one. His eyes are bulging out. He's got this svelte physique. He just screams stuff. Just just misguided anger. He's the most ineffective android I've ever seen. Or he's one of the most effective ones. I don't know. But to me, it's all a facade. Um, the fact that like his last backstage comment was one of the most despondent backstage comments I think I've ever seen. Like, he's a dumb jock wrestler with a dumb jock wrestler's gimmick, but there's something about him where he's just confronting his lack of credibility and he's just incapable of expressing what he wants to express. Or he's just a big dumb jock wrestler somewhere in the between. Yeah, I'm just going I'm, I'm just going with like big dumb jock wrestler doing big, big dumb jock wrestling things but wearing leg warmers from like the 1980s. Well, like he should be in Olivia Newton-John's let's get physical video with those leg warmers. Oh, RIP. You know, the thing about them that kind of annoyed me this tournament though is I feel like that power bomb spot that they do is the perfect concentration of their energy and they did it the first match and then they didn't do it again until the end of the tournament to me it's like you got a guy and you get him up in the power bomb position and neither one of you can see what's going on so you're just sort of going on blind trust and i feel like the crowd like if they did that every match and just held it up there because like the first time they did it mikey nichols just stood up and just waited for them to finish it was great I feel like that could be the kind of spot that, especially this Japanese crowd that loves that sort of humorous tinge to their wrestling. If they just keep doing that over and over and miss it every single time and like invest in them actually hitting it, it could be the comedy spot of the year, but they only did it twice. No, they did it three times. They did it it the last, the last two. Yeah, they did in the, I think the last two matches of the tournament. Well, they ended up doing it three times because Coughlin fucked up the the one against Tana, but or Yano, or was it? Well, no, Archer. Uh, Archer. Sorry. No, no, yeah, they fu- he f- they fuck it up against Archer, so they have to do it twice. But then in the match previous, they do it and they miss. Oh, you know what? You're right. So they did it three times, but even so, thirty three percent of the right. time is not enough. That spot needs to happen every single time, every G one or every World Tag League match, every undercard. I could not get enough of that spot. So that's World Tag now League. This, hmm? yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Uh, so that's World Tag League. We're going to have our final of Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis versus Bishamon, Goto, and Yoshihashi coming up soon. I mean, I think we talked about it. It's got to be Aussie Open, right? They want that rematch at the Dome. Has to be. Yeah, it has to be that. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, as much as I love Bishamon, this is Aussie Open's time. They should get the run. All right, let's try to get through Super Junior Tag League as the clock ticks. All right, so with this one, let me get this up. All right, so the team that technically won the block was 
was uh, whatever you want to call them, Ace Austin and Chris Bay, ABC equals one, two, sweet. Uh, now, they had a great run. Um, they went 11.25 for ninth place, and Grapple definitely liked them. They were third overall by Grapple ratings. I really like this team. Um, the, the, the brazenness of this team, it's just a intensely charismatic team. No, no, I just, no, I, I enjoyed them as well. Um, my only knock on them was that if I've got to watch another shitty back rake spot, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it may be too soon and I may have to cleave my eyeballs out with a melon scoop because to me, seeing those back rake spots just felt like a poor man's version of ELP and Ishimori. It should just be an ELP thing. It it works with him because right. he's such a scumbag. It doesn't really work with these two. These two are like hot, young, athletic, up-and-comers. They just chirp the whole match. It seems a bit goofy for what they're trying to do. Right. And, and Bay, I think, is trying to figure his character out in Japan. Or the Japanese version of it, if that if that makes sense. Oh no, yeah, it does. And at and at time and, and at times to me, felt like he was trying too much to be like ELP, right? Part of part of the initial um, knock against ELP was, oh well, you, you're you're trying to to emulate these guys that came before you to to get your heat, mm-hmm. and I feel like to a degree, Bay is doing a similar deal. Where it's like, okay, ELP created this formula and it worked, and this is my first tour of Japan, and this is what I'm going to do. It also doesn't where help. they're both. Sorry, no, I was going to say where both are athletic and charismatic enough to to be their own guys. They don't need to be doing shitty backrake spots. It also doesn't help Chris Bay that Ace Austin, listen, I tried to look this up. He must have a theatrical background. I know he was the Ace Austin Shakespeare thing in in Impact, but like in his backstage comments, in the ring, like he over-enunciates everything. Physically and verbally, like when he does that, that card spot, he's just like, Listen, this is what I'm doing. I'm asking the ref, and now I'm going to pull out of my arm sleeve this laminated card and run it through his fingers like a credit card. Don't tell anybody. Or like he does the handstand on the apron, and he does it every single match. Like, he's playing to the back row. He has to have a, a theater background. There's just no other way around it. But he's great. It works for him. It's so good. So, so good. It's fucking thighs, my God. I can see where Despy got so excited. <laughs> By the way, Despy, um, while I'm pulling this up, uh, Despy on one of the undercard matches forgot his pants and had to wear trunks. Uh, that was also a highlight. I definitely recommend looking that up. Because uh, it was very clear that he just forgot. All right, so they are facing uh, the new team, the new chaos team of Yo and Leo Rush. Uh, Leo Rush's first tour of Japan, at least for New Japan, uh, they went <clears throat> they went eleven seventeen for tenth place, and they were tenth overall in grapple rating, which I think sort of undoes what they do because I thought Leo Rush was a fucking dynamo this entire tour, 
Uh, it is very disconcerting, his smile and all that stuff. I mean, it's just the Bobby Lashley thing over and over again. But like his work in the ring brings a pace that very few people can match. I love this team. They're probably my, my second favorite team overall for the tour behind Aussie Open. Because even though they were put together just for this tour and it was the first time they were working together, they felt like they had been working together a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. They were already doing tag team moves together. Leo Rush looks like he's having the time of his life. Oh, is yeah. there anybody that loves be is there anybody that loves being a part of chaos more at this point than Leo Rush? To the point where I'm wondering where they're going with it, but yeah. Right. Um, you know, Yo looks engaged. <laughs> and and yeah. And and is having a great time. And I just, I, I just love this team, and I'm, I want them to be the team that wins. I want them against Catch Two Two. I do too. I really like that opening match, and I, I like the idea that they lost to the champions at the beginning. It's, it's such an interesting juxtaposition because you have Yo, who's just so sincere that he can't like get the words out, and he just sort of closes his eyes and reflects, and then just sort of walks off after this sort of transcendental moment and then you got leo rush who talks non-stop and it's just saturated with insincerity it's fucking great and also leo rush made it through the whole tournament without retiring which was also a plus well we have tomorrow night or five hours from now for whatever there's still time That's, uh, he made it through league play i didn't even know if he'd make it through league play so a few hours and you got Please just come on. We already lost ACH. Just listen. Just please. I'm begging you, Leo. Just stick around. Yeah. Uh, especially like once we get him into the singles, because the junior division needs that desperately. Oh God, yes. Uh, not that I, why you know, would scoff at more Despy title reigns, but we need some fresh blood there. All right. So United Empire, TJP, Francesco Akira, catch two two. Uh, they were third with twelve points and. Let's see. So they were uh, 1449 for their time because they did have almost entirely main events the whole way through. So they're second place there. And they are, in fact, the number one rated group by Grapple. And I agree because Catch 2-2 is the best fucking tag team in the world. And they never shared a ring before they started teaming together earlier this year. Like, not even shared a ring. They were incredible right off the bat. The The... the the ambitiousness and the complexity of their combination moves is fucking astounding, especially for two guys who are very far apart in age, no matter what TGP wants you to think with the way he's doing his hair right now. And they never shared a ring. It's, it's incredible. All I want to know is why is TJP cosplaying Chris Gaines? There's a deep cut. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. But no, Fuck, well, I can, and I think that's somewhat... I can see that fucking yeah. album cover right now, too. Yeah, yeah. Remember when he hosted Go. SNL and he was the guest yes. host as himself? Yeah. Yeah. So, kids, go and Google Chris Gaines, G-A-I-N-E-S. And if you have trouble finding that, add Garth Brooks. 
and, 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 and you'll see I'm right. Right. And, and while we're at it, anybody listening, like, listen, I love ribs. I love the stories. I'm a humorous guy. I like a joke as much as the next guy. Please give TJP back his hair product. I don't care if it's the gel, the mousse, a sculpting putty. This is not the Phil Am Flash that I'm familiar with, okay? I mean, he's a Lakers fan, so he gets what he deserves. He's vile because of that. But please, he doesn't need to look like the pop punk singer, okay? But all, joke, but all joking aside, I think it's a testament to TJP how well Catch 222 is working. And I know it's fun to, to bag on, on TJP, some of it deservedly, don't get me wrong. But I think in the, in the bagging of him, we forget that he's a really fucking good wrestler and has been for a while. Don't forget, he's that first American dojo class with Inoki, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So so he's he's got the chops and it's you know this is just i I think the the cherry on the top of the sunday of what he can do the fact that you can throw him together with akira and get what you get and get a very solid work rate team and that's really just united empire that they're really to varying degrees just the work rate um faction well that's the thing like i think he's like i think tjp is like a work rate randy orton like what people who talk about randy orton being so smooth and effortless and all that tjp is that and it's also funny because he's so like he's so serene and then akira is so high strong it's like a great combination there the one thing is like with the thing with the take a picture thing that they do like guys slow it down how can i take the fucking picture when you do it so fast i gotta reach into my pocket i gotta get the thing you gotta pull up the app it it doesn't work slow down um all right so another odd pairing at 12 points was uh alex zane and alinda mims the sauce hearts uh so they ended up at 1151 for eighth so they did get a lot of time in there uh and sixth place overall for grapple so people did like them i mean it's an interesting group with the Two, two ring styles that you didn't think would fit together, but it actually does. And especially one of them being a heavyweight I, and one of them being practically a mini. I, I loved Sauce Hearts, partly because of that. Also because Alex Zane is living his best life right now. Um, getting to be in, in Taco Bell commercials and earlier this evening, Taco Bell Japan sent out a tweet of him meeting the uh taco bell mascot taco man (laughs) and it's and 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 it shows and i said this on the discord that it shows just how easy it is right now for a foreigner to get over if they care right because all all he and ace austin had to do during best of super juniors was go eat some japanese food Write tweets fire in up kanji. The, fire up the auto-translate. And and that was basically it. That's all they had to do. Yeah. And the fans loved them. And then they break apart. Ace Austin joins Bullet Club. And now you have Taco Bell um, tweeting in kayfabe when either one of them goes and eats a Taco Bell and sends a tweet out. 
Right, because Taco Bell is even playing into it, and they're like, oh, Alex Zane's enemy, Ace Austin, showed up today. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Um, I loved El Lindemann, and it's nice that he's back. I'm assuming that Doki getting the pin on him the last night would be setting up another defense. Possibly. Overing Gleet? Right, I mean, greats, you mean. Uh, Doki seems to have his number. My favorite thing about El Lindemann was that he seems obsessed with comparing his tan to other people. So, like, the first time he was around, you know, I mean, he already looks like a, a, a Hanma homunculus. But he, like, when he was against Tiger Mask, he got very upset and he stopped the match to do a tan contest. I didn't even, like, think of Tiger Mask as that tanned, but L. Lindemann is obsessed with this stuff. Uh, and he just sort of shouts about great in his backstage comments. I mean... I would... Which I'm here for. Use 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 the platform that you have to get people to watch your home promotion. And New Japan's letting him do it. Oh yeah, which is the best part. I mean, he's got it on, got it on his trunks. He gets to promote it every chance he gets. Um, just, just do it. Now, the backstage comments between those two were awkward, as many were uh, in these pairings. Not as awkward as this team, though. So the Lij team of Bushi, who fucking sucks, and Teton. Now, they did have a good run. Uh, 12-14 was their time, 7th overall, and they ended up 7th as well for grapple rating. Teton's debut, his initiation into LIJ, was one of the most excruciating things I've ever watched. Uh, the awkward, awkward silences that just seemed perpetual and endless. And then their backstage comments when they were making a run at the titles against Catch-2-2 were even worse. Uh, it's not even the language barrier. It just seems like half the guys in LIJ don't even totally realize that Teton's a member. To the point where Teton and Bushi don't even cut backstage promos or comments together anymore. And even then, there's a weird, pervasive awkwardness between the two of them. Um, Bushi just sort of is babbling, and then Teton just starts shouting about CMLL. Uh, and this team legitimately put me to sleep. Twice. There is just a overwhelming awkwardness with this team. And their finisher still doesn't work. Teton still doesn't know which way to fall when he hits it. Half the time he lands on Bushi, which I appreciate, but it makes the move look weird. I don't know. What would you think of this team? They were fine. I, I mean, you, you got some of that, you know, Lucha, flippy-doo, junior stuff with Teton that at least kept you maybe partially awake until Bushi got into the ring, and then I could understand why you'd fall asleep. Um, but I agree. It's, it's, they, they don't feel as gelled together as you would expect an LIJ team to be because they're normally pretty good about bringing in pieces that immediately fit. Right. And Teton is... I don't know if I would go so far as to say a square peg in a round hole, but it's, he definitely, and, and I don't know if that's going to lead to somewhere because remember the whole story is that Bushi brought him in and didn't even tell Naito. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Teton just initiated himself and didn't tell them. Ah, it feels like Bushi's bringing Teton down, and it's really unfortunate because he had such a great Super Juniors, but it's a clunky fucking team, and it doesn't help that Teton's uh, comeback, like after an excruciating, boring Bushi control period, Teton does that stupid fucking move where he like clotheslines the guy's chest and falls out of the ring and looks like he like paralyzes himself when he lands. Right. It doesn't make sense. But Teton is great. Bushi fucking sucks. Uh, Pretty much, I agree. Oh, just that fucking guy in his fucking masks. Tiger Mask lit him up in the backstage comments about that, by the way. All right, so we had Suzuki Goon, this time Kanemaru and Doki. Uh, they had even 11 minutes for their time for 14th. And, of course, uh, Grapple never gives them enough credit because they hate Doki, but they were 11th. I don't know about Suzuki Goon. I mean, you'd think they're my favorite faction, but I kind of felt like this tag team between the two of them, you don't see the the uniqueness and, and the, the, the strengths of either guy. Uh, I, I can see where you're going with that. Um, and, and I don't know how much of it is just kind of a time factor right and not having enough time for to get into a proper closing stretch where doki can do doki things i think that's it that's what i think it is you know but you know kanamaro is always going to be solid mm -hmm. and people people kind of sleep on that but it's like no he's actually really fucking good when he wants to go he's one of my top 10 of new japan this year actually and then you know i loved you know them versus you know some of the other fellow scummy teams like house of torture because it's like oh let 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 the heel master show you show you how it's really done right he should never be outsmarted or outmaneuvered and then like i said i i you know i'm expecting hoping that doki gets another shot at the at Lindemann's belt. Yeah, it's weird. I think Doki really shines in singles matches where he can, you know, work underneath. And I think he shines in the six-man tags, but there's something about the dynamics of a tag team match that just seem to to assuage what's what's great about him. Uh, but, you know, they, they sort of went on a, a streak at the end. They were sort of already out, and then they started winning matches, but they made things interesting at the end. Um, all right, so this fucking team. All right, so we got Wild Hips, Taguchi and Clark Connors. They had six points. Uh, they ended up with 10, 13, 17th for time, which even that seemed like too much. And 17th also for Grapple. Um, this red tight stuff. Like, this is fucking pheromones and DDT stuff. Yes, yes. Um, I had that thought. And the final night when it gets to the point where the camera has got to put the ring rope in the center to hide all the ass crack. Oh man, the production team um, loves that technique. They fell in love with that. Right. But side note, if you're going to be showing your ass crack, tan your ass crack. I don't need to see like the tan line. It's bad enough. I'm seeing the crack. I don't need to see the tan line. Um, but yeah, no, I had the pheromones thought as well. But I also kind of enjoyed it 
because one, I'm not as high on Clark as a lot of other people are. And at least there was some variety to Taguchi because they just both came out looking like two sad Chippendale dancers. But there's, you know, some spots with the beer I loved in the in the Leo Rush uh, in the match against Yo and Leo Rush doing the whole Steve Austin oh, the spots. Stunners, yes, that the stunners that that made me pop. But overall, I could I could take or leave this. But I'm also not as enraged as other people are that Clark was stuck doing this with Taguchi. <sighs> All right, so I feel like maybe this sounds pretentious, but I feel like this whole beverage-based duo act is sort of a dissertation about the effects of social pressure drinking in Japan, where we see Taguchi, the the peremptory profligate senpai, corrupting his kohai. Clark Connors, I don't know what the fuck he is. I thought I had it figured out. He was just an overzealous safari guide. Like, was he an actual rhino? Was he just a guy who loves rhinoceroses? Why does he call himself a rhino but have, like, snakeskin tights? But now he's turned into, like, a frat guy who has a nickname called the Wild Rhino. And he, like, lets you know about that a lot. Just tossing his coccyx at everybody and getting drawn into this Taguchi stuff. The crowd loves it. Uh, we had to sit through some incredibly awkward banter between the two in these backstage comments. Do not go out of your way to watch those. I guess if you're going to lean into being stupid, you might as well go aggressively stupid. But I don't know if this is the company for it. But, I mean, again, you've got Yano... I mean, Takuji's been doing butt stuff for, it feels like, almost as long as one can remember. Um, you know, they clearly feel that there's still a place for it on the card. The crowd loves it. It's not to the point where it's legitimate sexual assault, like the pheromones, but it's getting there. But God bless Gucci for finally finding another degenerate friend. Right. So this is weird because, uh, uh, okay, so Tiger Mask and Robbie Eagles, Flying Tiger only had four points. Uh, they were actually only nine minutes, 58 seconds. They were 19th by time, uh, which means, uh, but they were ninth for grapple. So people liked the time that they were putting in, but four points. Um, Tiger Mask ate uh, seven pins here. Whereas my, the two pins that they won, my good friend Robbie Eagles, who obviously has excellent gear and it's not weird or clown pants in any way, he got the two pinfalls. I don't know. It's weird. They only got four points. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I mean, here, here's a team that, you know, had the belts. And I don't know how much of that is a reflection of... Just maybe the team was always meant to be more of that kind of thank you to Robbie for sticking out with the company during the pandemic and getting on the planes and sticking around, especially when his dad was sick. Yeah. Versus um, this year where it feels like, okay, you're 
you're one half of a dad team and we're going to treat you like it because we have some new toys. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, but he did get all the pins. He never he never took a pin, so I guess that sort of says something. I don't know. The team was just kind of there, I feel. They made some numbers. It was kind of fun to watch. It wasn't it, – it, it got Robbie on a tour. Yeah, solid tag team. And uh, Robbie Eagles, besides his gear, which I made fun of, is – I mean, he's, you know – He's one of the standouts of the pandemic era junior division. I mean, he's just good at everything. Great at everything. Now, uh, believe it or not, the the team, which I did not expect, I thought they were going to get shut out, but Kushida and Kevin Knight had four points. Uh, they actually 10 minutes, four seconds, 18th overall, and eighth overall for Grapple. Um, Kevin Knight became the Jet. He just graduated mid-tour. And that's really the only the highlight for this team besides Kevin in ring. Yeah. Now, I was high on Kevin. Actually, probably out of this whole um, kind of L.A. dojo group of guys, mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty much when he popped up at that first Super J Cup um, at on New Japan Strong, I you'd have to go search my Twitter, but I'm pretty sure I was sitting there going, oh, I hope we bring this guy in. And we brought this guy in. And I think out of the bunch of them, he's got the most for me upside that I'm interested in seeing. Oh yeah, he's got the he's got the charisma. He's already got the crowd connection. Um, his drop kick is Jesus amazing. Christ, what a fucking vertical on this guy! I mean, not to go all Jay Billis, yeah, but like the upside on this guy in the burst is outrageous. I want to. I mean, please get me a multi man tag match against Okada. Oh yeah. Inlet, right? Just, just give that to me. But um, no, so I'm excited. Obviously, New Japan sees something in him to to graduate him mid tour. To wear his track and pants. Take to, yeah, to go. You know, um, Kushida. I get this vibe that Kushida maybe he's there, but he's not. So fucking sad. He is depleted. Like, he is just a depleted resource in this company. Yeah. It's sad. He has nowhere else to go. Yeah, they, they fucked that up so spectacularly. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, Kevin Knight, I mean, Jesus, what a future for him. Uh, and somebody who probably thought they had a future was show when he was getting this push. But uh, Bullet Club, H-O-T, four points. Uh, nine minutes, 30 seconds, which was dead last. And uh, also dead last, tied for dead last and grapple rating. I don't even know because they didn't even exist to, to thwart anybody. So they just sort of just had absolute heat death the whole way through. I, it's probably the, the highlight was when they were in show's hometown and the people had... The, the signs made saying show go home, yes. which I kind of hope was his relatives. Right. And that's his actual hometown, not home prefecture, his actual hometown of Ujima. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what the plans for show are. He he's enjoying himself and it's probably the most that he's been ever, ever been able to show his, that he, that he can be charismatic as well. Yeah. But I, I would have liked to have seen him do, a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, 
he's stuck with Dick Togo. I mean, the, the thing about it is just, I just don't know where were they going with it. Cause with the heavyweight team, they thwarted LIJ. This team didn't really do anything relevant besides just the funny faces. Which he did well. Well, he always does them well. He's, he's an Ace Austin in that way with his facials. Um, Leo Russian, yo, Chris Bay, Ace Austin, who you got there? I want I want Leo and um, Yo. I hope so too. And Joel keeps throwing out this idea of the three way, four way thing for Wrestle Kingdom. For fuck's sake, let's please just have a straight match. All right. So, well, I mean, we've already, hmm? I was gonna say we've already got the four way for the singles title. Just, so, just, just yeah, just have which two on yeah, two. Just one four way match was superfluous. We don't need to double that. Um. All right, so we got to get to strong. Just one last thing with the the show coming up. We do have Carl Anderson defending against Hikaleo. Any quick thoughts on that? I mean, obviously, we now know where the brightest lights in Japan are. They are at the Sendai Sun Plaza Hall. Yeah, it's it'll be fine. Carl's probably going to retain and show up at Wrestle Kingdom. And it's probably against Tama. I don't know. I hope so. We'll see. I mean, it's either it's either that or Hikileo squashes Carl in thirty seconds. It's got to be one of those two. Which I don't two. think is happening. Right. Right. When Carl, like, listen, I appreciate Carl trying to do the opposite and not work a shoot, but actually shoot a work. And he got WWE to just go along with this, just simply by willing it to existence for the company that he was leaving. But, like, the story here is Tama beating him. So I certainly hope that is the case and that we get to see babyface uh, uh, prodigy Tama Tonga beat Carl Anderson for that title at the, uh, the Tokyo Dome. Now, we are pushing up against the limits here, but we've got to get this strong. Strong is got to be covered. So, Nicole, I'm giving you the floor Str- on that. Yeah, strong happened. Oh, it sure did. Um, it sure did. It's, you know, it was fine. It, it's, you know, the it, the main event was uh, uh, Tamatanga, Hikileo, Alan Angels, Finley versus Jay, ELP, and West Co- West Coast Wrecking Crew, and Jay even it, it it was fine. It wasn't. It's probably as much as I love multi mans and strong. This was just a match. Um, Tamatanga gets the pin. The only really thing that I came out of it was like, I'd actually maybe want to see Alan Angels maybe have a tour of Japan. Hmm. Yeah. As, as a junior, I, I was interested enough. But uh, the other, you know, DKC versus Christopher Daniels. Daniels is a great kind of gatekeeper foil for the young lines. Um, and then we had Gregory Shane and Kenny King. I've seen Kenny King. We'll probably need, never see Gregory Shane again. Kenny King saying that he's turned down WWE multiple times, just ringing his phone off the hook. Please, guys, I can't come in. I'm like where I am for years and years. Uh, quick question before we go. Jay White, could anybody be fucking colder than him as a champion? No, outside of maybe a corpse. And even then, the corpse might be warmer than jay white is right now i'm telling you this is what happens when you win the title at dominion you go right into g1 and then that dead period in the fall i feel like jay white's got to retain against okada he's not going to but 
But like it happened with Kenny. That's why Kenny's title reign was so fucked up. You win at Dominion, you sort of have that dead half of the year. I would have him retain. No, he's. I mean, it's going to be Okada. Oh, they're doing the um, the da at the end of the whole thing. The 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 Inoki, right? The, oh, it's, yeah. it's 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 the whole Inoki. There's there's no way. Well, I wouldn't say no, but nah, it's it's totally it's it's yeah. Okada's walking out of there with the bill. They literally asked the government if they could do that, and Genki Sudo said maybe. Yeah, but we are. Uh, I was say, you want me to hitting wrap? up against the? I was gonna say I can yeah, wrap, well, it up. wrap it up. Yeah, we, so we are wrapping up. So catch us at um, hit us on Twitter, Super Jcast. If you want to join the Discord, hit Joel with a DM and we'll let you through the drawbridge, uh, throw some money our way at redcircle.com slash super Jcast. Uh, go to PWTs to pick up a sh- uh, t-shirt. There's also Cobra Kawaii. That's where I got my scampi club shirt. I would definitely go there. Um, you can hit me up at booze leprechaun. Uh, where can they hit you on Twitter? Uh, don't. Okay, and then uh, check out, and then check out Escape the Box, Editor Dan. Um, like, review, and subscribe, and we will see you all next week. Joel and Damon will be back with a review of this upcoming World Tag League Super Junior Tag League final night. Bye. Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio.